The Game Keep Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. If you want to support the show, you can go to patreon.com forward slash the Game Keep Cool to find our $1 and $5 a month tiers. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $5 level. I Rebel, Dean Donian, Jed Winters, Joey Sirico, Resident Evil Collector on Instagram, Link, Marty Thompson, Double Ugly, Bendito Benito, AJ Olson 11, Cube Dude, and Bogus Lotus. The GameCube, GameCube was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. So anyways, Mike, I think that's why HD DVD is the superior way to watch all media. I love HD DVDs. I'm a huge fan. But oh, Neil, we are live. Oh, well, Mike, thank you so much for joining me today. Mike, I had a, uh, I was driving around at work a lot the other day, and I had a, a shower thought while driving, if you will. And I, I got to thinking about cake. Uh, I don't know why, but I was thinking like, okay, you know, usually you end up with chocolate or vanilla birthday cake at most parties that you go to. But then I was thinking, like, why do we limit ourselves to just the chocolate and the vanilla sponge cake? Which is fine. Like, I'm, I'm a huge fan of a good chocolate or vanilla mm. birthday cake every so often. But then I was thinking, like, you know, we have, we have carrot cake. We have red velvet cake. We have coffee cake. We have strawberry shortcake. And then I was thinking, like, if I were to, like, if someone said, like, you know, Neil, you have to pick up cake for this party. But you can't pick a traditional cake. What would you pick? And then I was like, man, Neil, this is a great <laughs> podcast opening topic. So, Mike, I'm going to ask you, what is your favorite non-traditional style of cake? That's a good question. I love that. Um, mm-hmm. I do like strawberry shortcake a lot, but I really like cakes with lemon in it. I, yeah. I love lemon loaf. I'm a huge fan of lemon loaf. It's just yeah. always delicious. And um, yeah, I'm a big lemon cake guy. I, uh, I I support that. Lemon blueberry especially is mm, oh. very, very good. That's starting to sound more like a muffin now, though. I, I've had lemon blueberry cake. It's delicious. Okay, and do you have like a like a glaze on it, or is that like an the, icing cake, yeah, or is it just like a pound cake with no icing? It's, no, it's, it's 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 got the <laughs> <laughs> it's got the blue blueberry icing on top, uh, and usually okay. it, uh, it has like a whipped cream kind of in the middle, uh, like as like the layers. So it's like lemon cake layered with whipped cream and maybe a little bit of blueberry in like like blueberry jam inside the layer, almost like a trifle, uh, but like as a uh, uh, as a cake form. And I've had that okay. before, and it's really really good. Okay, I like that choice. That's a good one. Strawberry shortcake is also a good shout out. Doesn't get a lot of love. I think that a strawberry shortcake fits at like a summer barbecue. I don't know why, but I associate strawberry shortcakes with summer, of course, the Ontario strawberry being the the crown jewel of our province. <laughs> I usually go for like a good chocolate fudge cake, which I think is more is a bit too close to being like a chocolate birthday cake, so I'm not going to go with that one, but for me it's a carrot cake. I I really love carrot cake. A good I could just eat a bowl of cream cheese uh, frosting, really. Oh, yeah. And, it's the for like real cream cheese frosting like yeah. fresh. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, I could just eat a I could just eat a pound of that and that would be <laughs> totally fine by me, but no, a good carrot cake with some walnuts on the side mm. and like nice shredded carrots in there is just really good. I could eat that until I died, basically. Um, I've also had a really good, there's a, an Italian bakery uh, near where I live, or near where I work, actually, that make a really good cannoli cake. Um, I forget what it's called. It's an Italian name, and I am not going to try and butcher that name now, but they use, like, not the 
not the rolled cannolis, but they use like the flat sheets of cannolis. So I don't know what they make it out of, but it's it's like a lasagna cake almost where <laughs> you've got like these sheets of like crusted cannoli crust and then it's filled with the cream as well and you've got some chocolate in there and I think there were strawberries in it too, but you it felt, it tasted so good. You felt like you weighed like 100 pounds heavier after <laughs> eating it. So not an ideal cake to eat at a party because it makes one hell of a mess, uh, but super tasty. So got to give a shout out there to uh, all of those uh, non-traditional cakes because I feel like chocolate and vanilla are stealing way too much of the show. I agree. And that's a good shout out. That's, that's important. I'm glad that you're putting this out to the people, Neil. Thank you. Thank you. But Mike, I got to talk to you about something else. I know that summer is winding down now, and unfortunately, I didn't get uh, into too many water gun fights this summer, which is just a shame. I know. All my water guns are at my parents' house, but do you remember water guns back in the day? I feel like they were way heavier, if that makes sense, or way more powerful. Like, you could take a person's face off with them if you wanted to. Neil, this is great. This is a great segue because I have a good story for this. So okay. I was at my parents' the other day, and they I noticed that they had a water gun on the like on the table uh outside and i was like why it's like the godfather they had a gun on the table like when you walked in (laughs) yeah we're on the patio and i see this water gun i said why do you have this water gun and my mom was like well it's the squirrels keep like eating all the flowers and eating all the bulbs Mm. so she sprays them when they come near uh but she's like honestly i had to buy this crappy water gun and i'm really upset that we threw out your old water guns or like gave them away because your old water guns would have done so much more damage to these squirrels Like these yes. ones are so, and like she was showing it to me. Yeah, it's like just like a, like a slow stream, like of water coming out. I was like, yeah, this sucks. Yeah, yeah. The super soakers of today are not what they used to be. No. You sometimes see them when you go to a, a Canadian Tire or you know your Walmart or Target or whatever your local equivalent may be. And like you see these guns, and it's like, man, we had it so good back in the day with water guns. I remember some that had like a backpack. With yes, extra that's ammo, right. yeah. <laughs> you needed it. <laughs> and it's it's funny you tell the story about your parents with the squirrels because I had a neighbor in my childhood home who had a pond, and he did the same thing. But he had like basically the like the Gatling gun from Terminator Two, but the water gun equivalent. <laughs> Yeah, basically, and it was to kill, or not to kill, it was to shoot at raccoons because raccoons would eat his pond fish, which is terrifying to think of. But he eventually, they eventually moved away, and uh, they moved to a place without a pond, obviously. So he was like, here you go. So <laughs> I basically got this water gun that, while filled with water, was heavier than I was at the time. Uh, and yeah, you just feel like an ultimate badass with those guns. I, I really, I'm like you, I'm, I am so mad that I got rid of most of my water guns back in the day because they had like different like attachments that you could put on to like make it like just a blast of water or like a like a laser beam of water if you wanted to uh we had a lot of cool guns out there too but uh, even like water bombs too i feel like our balloons you don't see those anymore but i feel like maybe we'll need to do that as adults have a really good water gun fight maybe that's an idea for next year's cottage trip i did a water gun fight in seoul korea uh one of the first days i got there uh there's a water gun fight festival basically what? and it was crazy it was really really fun uh it was just absolutely nuts and there was like dubstep like music going. <laughs> and so when like things were, like, were about like, it's, like there was a dj there when when the music was about to drop everyone like shoots the water in the air like yeah let's go <laughs> mike i think that we're i think we got something here i think we need to start the first ever water gun con in toronto if that doesn't already exist i would <laughs> i would love to go to water gun con We'll we'll do it someday when we when we have enough followers in Toronto. That's what we'll do first first day. We're not going to do a meet and greet. We're going to do a water gun con. <laughs> Sounds good. Mike Ira Bell from Patreon writes in, and today we have our first uh, September topic for the month. Ira Bell's topic is my opening topic for the month of September is all about something that is long overdue. Pizza. What is your favorite topping? 
Do you like thin or thick? Does pineapple belong on pizza? What is your favorite frozen pizza brand? Favorite chain restaurant for pizza? Favorite local pizza place? What will you eat on pizza that is uncommon? Have you ever had mac and cheese pizza? Square cut or pie cut? Favorite use of pizza in a TV show or movie? Did you partake in the Pizza Hut book-in program? Is there anything in Canada that is unique in relation to pizza? And finally, you both are tasked with creating a game all about pizza. Please tell us the game that you would like to play. Each of you, create your own game. No crossover. Whoa, that's a lot to talk about with pizza. So, (laughs) Mike, I think the easiest thing to do is for for me to just uh, hit you with all of my pizza opinions, and then you can hit me with yours, and uh, we can hash it out. What do you think? Yeah, it sounds good. Let's do it. All right, cool. So my favorite topping on pizza, I'm I'm boring, but I'm probably going to have to go with pepperoni. Uh, the tried and true pepperoni. It's the classic. If you see a pepperoni pizza, you're not going to say no to it, obviously. So have to go with pepperoni. But as I get older, I do have to say that I'm starting to like olives on my pizza more and more. I don't know if you're a fan of olives on pizza, Mike, but I I just do like, I like olives just in things. Like when I was in Chile, uh, we had uh, black olives in uh, empanadas. And for those who don't know, empanadas are like, um, almost like pizza pockets (laughs) to, to, to describe them that way. And, uh, a lot of them have chicken and beef and stuff in it, and they usually have one or two olives. And it's just a nice little, like, taste, little, you know, with everything salty. else. Yeah, yeah. A salty burst in, in whatever it is that you're eating. I, I, I like them in things, too. I don't like them in salads, though. Like, mm, I, I, I hate it when they're raw and, like, you get, like, it tastes like you're eating, like, moldy fish or something. I'm not a fan of it, but... <laughs> Thick or thin crust? I got to go thick crust. I have a huge problem with thin food. Obviously, everybody out there knows my opinion on thin crust Oreos. The same goes for pizza. I like a good thick crust pizza. I want to feel full after eating pizza. I don't want to feel like I need to have bread with my pizza, you know? That doesn't feel right. So does pineapple belong on pizza? Heck yes, it does. I love pineapple on pizza. Goes great with ham. I'll even have pineapple as the only topping on pizza. Again, it's like I like that sweetness to the cheese and the tomato sauce. I think it works really well. I feel like that's an internet thing, not liking pineapple on pizza. I'm not down with it. So yes, it does belong. My favorite frozen pizza brand is Delicio. I think that's a thing in – actually, I think the American version is DiGiorno. I don't know if they have Delicio in the States, but uh, here we have Delicio Pizza. That is my favorite frozen pizza brand. I'm also a big fan of the random supermarket frozen pizza brands that you'll get, which is a non-brand. It's just pizza that's been shrink-wrapped. I don't know what that's called, <laughs> but those are usually actually pretty good. They're actually good. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. I, I don't know where they come from. <laughs> they're just like these cardboard pizzas that have, they're just wrapped in shrink wrap. It's funny. My favorite chain of uh, pizza, my favorite restaurant chain for pizza is probably Pizza Hut. I... I don't eat it very often, but uh, I, I love a good stuffed crust pizza hut pizza. Like once every few years, you get the craving for that. It's really good. My favorite local pizza place. So uh, there was this pizza place in a local dying mall that Mike and I lived near when we were kids. Mike Sheridan Mall, as you know, of course, we grew up there. Big tradition of mine was to get a nice slice of cheese pizza before going into Music World, which is basically like an HMV. Go in there, check out some VHS tapes and CDs, of course. And uh, I just have such a fond memory of eating uh, a slice of Papa Luigi's pizza in uh, in this empty food court in this mall that no one shopped at anymore. And uh, we used to order pizza from there every Friday night because for some reason they delivered. It's been long out of business. I don't think they were in business by the time we were in high school. So if I had to give a shout out to a current local pizza place, I'd have to say Hungry Dragon, which is in uh, the suburbs of Toronto in a place called Mississauga. Uh, it's in a strip mall, so you would never you would never think anything of it. I think it's between like a Money Mart and a and a laundromat. Uh, but it's a deep dish pizza place. It's it's absolutely amazing. You have to order the pizza one day in advance so you know it's good. Uh, it's expensive. Like a medium pizza is like 25 bucks, but it's so cheesy that they put so much meat in it. It's thick. You eat like one slice and you're full. So that's my favorite local pizza place, if you will. What do I eat on a pizza that's uncommon? 
I can't think of any toppings that I can that I eat that are uncommon, but I will dip my pizza crusts in just about anything. <laughs> uh, I don't know if that's weird, but like I'll I'll experiment with different condiments, different salad dressings, different dips, whatever I can find. Really, uh, I like to be adventurous when it comes to dips and uh, and pizza crusts. Have I ever had mac and cheese on pizza? No, I, I don't know anywhere that actually does that. Come to think of it, but first time I see that, I will definitely try it. Square cut or pie cut? I have to go pie cut. I like a square pizza, but only if I can get a piece that has at least one side of crust. I don't like the corner piece because then you get no cheese and sauce. So I will take a square cut, but I prefer that pie cut. Favorite use of pizza in a TV show or a movie? Uh, The SpongeBob pizza delivery episode. Obviously classic. One of the first ever SpongeBob episodes. A really good one. Krusty Krab pizza is Is the the pizza. pizza. For you, you and me, me. <laughs> the crusty cray, yay, yay, yay. <laughs> Classic, love that episode. And then, of course, Spider-Man Two, Pizza Time, great yeah. meme. <laughs> I love that part. My my one point though is for both of those things, the SpongeBob and the Spider-Man Two, is that both those pizzas had to be effed up by the time they made it to wherever they were going. <laughs> That's very true, actually. <laughs> yeah, I love it in movies or TV shows when like you see the pizza getting moved around. It's like there's no way that that pizza is edible anymore. Uh, Did I partake in the Pizza Hut book program? I did, but I only remember ever getting to one personal pizza. I didn't read much as a kid, but I definitely got to one at one point. I think that was towards the end. By the time we were of age to do it, I think it was towards the end of its run. Uh, Is there anything in Canada that is unique in relation to pizza? We have Pizza Pizza, which is a chain of pizza restaurants. Uh, The pizza is terrible, but people almost always end up ordering from it because it's so it's cheap and it's convenient. Uh, But the dipping sauce that they make there is are all really good. So everybody loves the dipping sauces from Pizza Pizza. And finally, my video game idea for a pizza, I would go with like a very physics-based kind of I am bread snake pass kind of thing where you play as a pizza and your job is to deliver yourself to where it is that you need to go. So you're like a flopping disc of pizza that's like walking, like flipping yourself over. Maybe you roll sometimes, maybe you get picked up by like a car or a bird or something and you have to get somewhere and uh, and you, you get points based on how fast you deliver yourself and how good of a condition you end up at the place in that you need to go so okay yeah very high score based very like i can see streamers catching on to this game for sure (laughs) i I think it would be a good like twitch streaming game but that's my idea for a pizza game what about you mike let's hear all of your opinions on pizza Whew, that was a lot neil uh you did a great job those were all great i uh as you'll see i agree with a lot of them so to start off um Pepperoni, definitely probably my favorite pizza topping. Mm-hmm. Although roasted red peppers is my number two. I love roasted red nice. peppers on pizza. Mm-hmm. Uh, for thicker thin crust, this is where I'm going to differ from you, is I'm a thin crust guy. I love thin crust pizza. Uh, thick crust, I associate thick crust with like Pizza Hut. I don't like Pizza oh, Hut. Oh, no. So, Okay. Uh, that's like kind of what I associate it with. Um, although I have had really good homemade pizza that has thick crust that's super light and fluffy. Yeah. Shout out to Brandon. He made a really good one at one point. Exactly. And so that's when thick crust is good. But I, I feel like thick crust with other stuff can be, I don't know, just like loaded with like sugar. Basically. <laughs> um, uh, does pineapple belong on pizza? Yes, it does. Absolutely. Like you said, uh, my favorite frozen pizza brand, I don't really eat frozen pizzas, but sometimes I do get exactly what you're talking about, Neil. Mm-hmm. The, the random frozen pizzas from the, the supermarkets yeah. that don't have like, a name. Uh, <laughs> just, just a barcode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, my favorite chain restaurant for pizza is probably we were we were talking to friend of show John about this the other day. It's probably Domino's because that's the most consistent. I would say Pizza Nova is really good too. We didn't I didn't give a shout out to them, but I like Pizza Nova is too. That, is that Canadian? Just Canadian? I don't I don't know. Maybe 
no, it, yeah, it's well, in Canada. So. <laughs> yeah, it's in Canada. Yes, uh, and favorite local place. I mean, there's I've had so many local places come and go. Like you were talking about there, yeah. Neil. That was one that I was thinking of as well. The Papa Luigi's or whatever it was called. And yeah, Music World. <laughs> R.I.P. Love Music <laughs> World. Uh, yeah, I would probably say now because uh, I live basically almost above a pizza place, and that's my go-to. And so, and it's a really good pizza place. It's local, so that's probably my number one. But yeah, there's just been so many pizza places that come and go. Yeah. What will I eat on pizza that is uncommon? Uh, broccoli. I actually like broccoli on pizza. Uh, it's not just like, you know, boiled broccoli or something, but it's like fried broccoli. It tastes actually quite good on pizza, especially have you, if you have some nice cheese on there. Have I ever had mac and cheese pizza? Nope. Like you, Neil, I have no idea. Uh, what I'm interested is. now, though. I'm interested. Yeah. I'm yeah. <laughs> is is it is the cheese mac and cheese? You know, like that, that's, that's what I'm wondering. I imagine that there's still like mozzarella and maybe some cheddar in there. But then, yeah, they put the macaroni and cheese on it. But not the, do you bake it with the mac and I have so many questions. Like, when do you bake it before the mac and cheese or after the mac and cheese is on? I need to investigate further. We need to look into this. Mike, check your local pizza place and see if they do it. And we will, uh, <laughs> for science, we will try it out. For science. Uh, I don't like square pizza. I'm a pie cut guy for sure. In uh, the exact reasons that you listed as well, Neil. Um, for favorite use of a pizza in TV show or movie, I had like one and then I ended up having seven or six. <laughs> like, There's so many that I was thinking of. Uh, first one I thought of right off the bat was in the office where's the pizza delivery guy and they want pizza from Alfredo's yeah. and Michael gets it wrong. It's like he gets, no, Alfredo's pizza shop. Yeah, and he tries to get it all for half off because the coupon is yeah. only for two pizzas. So they hold the delivery guy hostage for like three hours. Yeah, he kidnaps the <laughs> delivery guy. Uh, and uh, the Seinfeld uh, pizza place where they're playing Frogger, of course. Mm. Uh, I remember that. Uh and the weekenders, uh, how every pizza place changes every episode, like how the pizza place changes every episode uh, to different themes. I always love that, and they're always eating pizza there. Uh, yeah. And uh, Fry in Futurama as a pizza delivery man, mm. uh, gotta gotta love that. And uh, of course, we just watched the terrible movie Neil Little Italy together uh, oh, after yes. I watched it uh, on my own, but well, with uh, with friend of the show Harrison and enemy of the pod Ramon. And uh, showed it to all you guys at the cottage a couple weeks ago, and uh, that was only about pizza. That is a movie that is literally only about pizza. Pizza the movie. That is. <laughs> I'm so glad you introduced us to Little Italy. That is probably the number one choice for a pizza in media. Obviously, I. Oh my God, Hayden Christensen, Emma Robertson. What a stellar cast, stellar acting. Great script. Great Toronto-based film. Uh, winner of several TIFF awards, I'm sure. Uh, oh, I'm sure. <laughs> but yes, great use of pizza in that as well. And we have to say the 1989 Ninja Turtles movie is also a great use of pizza. I love, I don't know how they made the pizza look that good in that movie or what restaurant that came from, but shout out to the 1989 Ninja Turtles movie. Oh, it did look really good. Uh, um, I did partake in the Pizza Hub bucket program. Um, I don't remember anything about it, but I do remember the program. <laughs> It was like you read seven books. Somehow you, pr- I don't know how you prove that you read the seven books, but I think your teacher gives you stickers, and then once you get seven stickers, you get a a free personal pan pizza. Yeah, I yeah, that's how that's, it works. that's all I remember. But uh, yeah, uh, the only thing in Canada that I can think of unique to pizza is yeah, pizza pizza for one, and uh, the fact that pineapple on pizza supposedly was invented in Chatham, Ontario. So uh, thanks, okay. Chatham. For so uh, for supporting pineapple on pizza since whenever they they invented it or created it, I, I guess you could say. I'm sure poutine pizza is probably also mm-hmm. a thing that we do, but I've never, never had, had that. that. Yeah, and um, a game about pizza. Uh, I loved yours, Neil. I thought it was really really cool. Uh, for me, Futurama. 
Uh, Futurama needs more love in the video game world, so I would like to see a Futurama game of Fry circa 1999 delivering pizzas in like a crazy taxi style game. Oh, okay, I like that. Yeah, you got to go like maybe you got to go all over like because they travel through space in that movie too, right? Or in that well, show, I, right? Too. I, I so. imagine like the first part of the game is just you in 1999. You get to see all kinds of like 90s stuff. Uh, gotcha. for, you know, for the nostalgia. And um, and then eventually, like halfway through the game, you do get transported to the future in the year 3000. Uh, and uh, and then you get to uh, you get to go into space and do more traveling missions and stuff like that with pizza. So, yeah, that's uh, that's kind of what I would do. Man, I hope in the future we can deliver pizza from or we can order pizza from different planets. Eh? That'll be really cool. That would be nice. I'd love to get some planetary pizza. But uh, thank you, Irabel, for submitting that pizza topic. And uh, please uh, go watch Little Italy if you want any more <laughs> pizza uh, <laughs> uh, pizza in your life because uh, that's pizza for appetizers and pizza for the main course. Of course. We can make an entire episode about pizza, but we can't do that, Mike. We need to jump into the episode. But before we do, I think it's time for one of our favorite reoccurring segments. What do you think? That's right, Neil. It is time for the mailbag. Ladies and gentlemen, if you want to write into the show, you can do so by leaving us a message on whatever social media platform you follow us on. Or you can send us a message on Discord. You can leave us a review on uh, Apple Podcast, Spotify. We will read them on the podcast. Just like Mike, who are into us today. Well, we have quite a few here, Neil. Starting off, we had Ryan Sparks on Instagram saying, Hey guys, just wanted to shoot a message to thank you both for this podcast. It makes my days at work go by great. I started listening to the Sunshine episode. Thank you. Uh, and then quickly went and listed it, uh, listened to it from the very beginning. I know you hate the first episode, but there was a charm to it. As I listen to each episode, I feel like I'm sitting in a room with friends just reminiscing about games from my youth. Also, I am anxiously awaiting the Metal Gear Solid Twin Snakes episode. Thank you again for all the work you put into this podcast. Take care. Yeah, we have not done the Metal Gear Solid Twin Snakes episode. It's coming up very soon because we are running out of episodes to do, <laughs> basically. But thank you so much for jumping in on Sunshine. That is the right place to start. And glad that you found some charm from our first episode. We don't see it, but glad you saw <laughs> something there. Lucas on Instagram writes, he also gives us a five stars. Best podcast ever. So picture this. You're at work and you are bored of listening to your coworkers' jokes that are not even... Wait, sorry. So picture this. You're at work, and you are bored of listening to your coworkers' jokes that are not even funny. Well, that was my situation a few weeks ago, until I found the GameCube Was Cool podcast. So, when I found the podcast, I started listening to it every day, about four to five episodes a yes. day. And that helped me have fun at my job. So thank you guys for all you have done. P.S. If you found my review interesting, would it be possible for it to be read in the mailbag segment? Thanks again. Signed, Lucas. Sure thing, Lucas. We will read it on the podcast, no problem. Four to five episodes a day, Mike. What do you think about that? Well, we have uh, 109 episodes plus uh, 10, oh no, plus 12 side mission episodes. That's, uh, what are we at, One uh, 121 uh, total. So, yeah, I mean, uh, four to five a day, you could you could breeze through our episodes pretty quickly that way. And, uh, and I think because if you do that that way, you'll actually see our improvement as well. So, yeah, I appreciate it. Mm-hmm. I like to think that Lucas was like bored at his job. He was on the precipice of quitting, but because of our podcast, he is now okay to work his job. So we are saving jobs saving out there. Jobs. Like we're keeping keeping folks employed out there in the, in the world. 
Thank you so much for the review. That's awesome. I also really uh, empathize with the uh, listening to co- co-workers who jokes, <laughs> jokes are not funny. Uh, that is That happens a lot uh, in just yeah. office jobs, so definitely understand that. Uh, another uh, great review we have here, uh, which is from uh, AppRater. Uh, th- that works because they are rating our podcast here, and they say, love it. Five stars. I recently started a new job, another new job here, uh, that consists of a lot of driving. This podcast has been a lifesaver. I love the fact that it's both informative and entertaining. Thank you very much. That is really what our mandate is here. We just want to be informative and entertaining. So I'm glad that we can provide that and provide a nice driving experience for you. Certainly. And uh, we do get a lot of folks out there tell us that they love to listen to us while they drive. So remember, everybody, drive safe. Uh, Remember to indicate. uh, Leave lots of space between you and the car in front. Get home safe. And uh, don't drink and drive, of course. Ryan on Instagram writes in. Ryan says, Good day, guys. Just rebought myself a GameCube and getting back into it and came across your podcast. Love what you're doing. Very helpful when deciding what games to, or more importantly, not to go for. Thanks, Ryan. I love that we have influence over people buying GameCube games in 2022. It's one of my favorite <laughs> yeah. things uh, of, of the podcast is that people do actually listen to your recommendations, which is nice. We do your research. We, we, we will provide you with good recommendations, usually objectively, like uh, as objective as we can in terms of what we think. Uh, of course, we'll be subjective on some stuff like Nightfire, which is the greatest game ever. Uh, so, but uh, I really appreciate that, Ryan. And uh, I'm, I'm glad that you have rebought yourself a GameCube. Good time to do it. Yeah, there's a lot of people jumping in on the console again. It's it's neat to see like the GameCube trending on Twitter every so often <laughs> and showing like new ways to modify it. I just saw recently that you can now connect your PS5 controller to the GameCube. So it's the console that keeps on giving. So with that, Mike, I think that it's time that we jump into the episode at large. What do you think? Let's do it, Neil. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 109 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one GameCube podcast on the internet. We're here to look back on all 555 North American GameCube games, one by one, sometimes 12 by 12. So far, we have covered 476 games. You can visit thegamecubeiscool.com to check out all the things we've been working on. The website was developed by our very own Mike Lane. Thanks to the power of pizza. Thank you to the power of pizza and olives. Last week, we talked about Donkey Kong Jungle Beat and a little about the Donkey Kong series in general. If you haven't already, go back and check it out. This week, we are talking about the Cartoon Network games on the GameCube. Games that aren't necessarily based on your favorite Disney or Nickelodeon characters, but were probably still a big pillar of your after-school and Saturday morning routines at one point or another. Mike, before we jump into the games, though, uh, we're going to talk about a couple of franchises today, including Wallace and Gromit, Powerpuff Girls, Samurai Jack, Carmen Sandiego, Codenamed Kids Next Doors, Ed, Ed, and Eddie, and The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy. Are any of these shows standouts for you back in the day? Uh, Good question, Neil. So I have watched, I say, I think all of these shows, not Carmen Sandiego. I don't really remember that, but I know of Carmen Sandiego, of course. Mm -hmm. Uh, I mostly watched Codenamed Kids Next Door. That's probably the the one that I watched the most of these seven games uh, or seven shows. Mm-hmm. I, I remember The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy a lot as well. Uh, I didn't really watch Ed, 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 Ed and Eddie. I thought it was kind of stupid. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's I, I, watching some footage of it uh, this week. I was like, oh, you know, it's not, not too bad. Samurai mm-hmm. Jack is really cool, actually. Yeah. And I watched it a little bit as a kid, but... I kind of got back into it when friend of the show Dan showed me the I think it was like the final season that they they did or a movie or whatever it was recently like in the last five years. Yeah, um, they kind of rebooted it back in like 2017, 2018. I think. Yeah, I guess that's what it was. Yeah, yeah. and it was. 
I kind of forgot how amazingly it was animated mm-hmm. and how they there's no use of black outlines like and uh, uh, like oh, lines yeah. on cartoon on the characters, which is really really rare mm-hmm. for uh, cartoons, especially kids cartoons. So that was really cool to to watch it again. Powerpuff Girls, of course, I loved Powerpuff Girls as a mm-hmm. kid, uh, and uh, Tom Kenny and Tara Strong providing <laughs> some voices in there. I love yep. to see that. Uh, well, Austin Gromit, I watched. Um, I, don't, I never watched the shows, but I watched the movies. Uh, I think I've seen. Mm. I think I might have seen all of them. I don't know how many movies there are, there's, but there's one. <laughs> well, there, there's there's the Curse of the Were Rabbit. That's the one. <laughs> That's the one. Uh, but there's there's a. Um, we there's... had a bunch of VHSs of the older ones. I guess like the nineties. Yeah, yeah. Those ones. are like those are just the TV short. They're they're considered short films. Those ones. I know exactly the ones you're talking about. Those. Yeah. They're like a half an hour each or something like that. But yeah, there's only one feature film for Wallace and Gromit. And that is The Curse of the Were-Rabbit, which is a good movie. There's a lot of other Nick Park uh, movies as well, like Chicken Run and... Uh, I, lo- I love Chicken Run. Great oh my movie. God. <laughs> we're going to talk, talk more about that later for sure. That is a great film. I love anything stop motion like that with Claymation is really cool. But sorry to cut you off there. Oh, no, no, that's okay. <laughs> but uh, yeah, these uh, I'm, I'm excited to talk about more talk about these shows rather than the games that kind of were companions to the shows Mm -hmm. because as we're going to find out neil not all these are very good well basically all of them are are relatively mediocre i'd say there's no bad bad games no in this batch but there's it's mostly just mediocre games and like you said earlier no thq surprisingly yeah i know i was surprised too like just going through all of these games like really like no uh no mainstream developers at all like no ea no ubisoft at the time no activision it's all one-off developers which is really neat uh, my history with these shows is uh, pretty much the same as yours. A lot of these uh, franchises are very, like, they were very much in between a lot of the other shows that I was looking forward to. Like, mm-hmm. I did like Powerpuff Girls, but it was always the show between SpongeBob and Yu-Gi-Oh! or whatever it was that was on YTV back in the day. And I did, I remember watching Samurai Jack, but I remember it being the show in between Yu-Gi-Oh! and Dragon Ball Z or whatever. Like, it was <laughs> yeah. always something in between something else. So, uh, Samurai Jack, Powerpuff Girls, Codename Kids Next Door, uh, I watched a lot of those shows in between other shows so i do have memories of them but they're not the most beloved shows from my from my childhood Mm -hmm. which is too bad because going back this week looking at them they were really good shows and like you said ed ed and eddie it is a bit of a dumb show but it's still (laughs) really clever yeah Um, it is yeah it's a really clever show. I liked. I like just reading and learning about these shows in general. Like Ed, Ed, and Eddie. Uh, that show in particular only had thirteen characters on screen in the entire series, which is pretty cool. Like I think that's amazing yeah, for a cartoon. I think it ran about six seasons, and only thirteen characters is really neat. Uh, Carmen San Diego. I only remember that. I remember the name because back in the day, if you owned a PC. Uh, or someone you know owned a PC, like they would say, we, we play Carmen San Diego, and that's the only game they played was Carmen San Diego. Where for in the world is Carmen San Diego? Exactly, it's one of the earliest PC games that a mm-hmm. lot of folks our age played. So uh, a bit more of an edutainment game, if you will. Um, yep. So I didn't play them back in the day, but I remember the name and people talking about it. I don't remember the show at all. No, <laughs> uh, I don't know when it was on, what channel it was on. It looks like a YTV kind of thing. <laughs> Maybe like the time after school when we were on our way home, it was on one of those shows. You know, and we should. We should preface this episode, too, by by stating that as Canadians, we didn't mm. have Cartoon Network itself, True. just like how we didn't have Nickelodeon channel itself when we talked about the Nickelodeon games about 50 or so episodes ago. Yeah. Uh, so we kind of got these shows on 
in a, a lot of different ways, I guess, rather than uh, for Americans, they would have just gotten these all back to back to back. So it's uh, we kind of got to consume it a little differently. Yeah, I didn't know that like Cartoon Network, I should have known this way earlier, but I really didn't know that was like one of the brands, like the way that Nickelodeon or Hanna-Barbera are. I didn't yeah. know that until maybe 2014, 2015, when they started to do the... Um, like the collaboration games where it was like a brawler with all the Cartoon Network, uh, all the Cartoon Network characters are here. And I was like, there's Cartoon Network characters? Like, what does that even mean? Like, Johnny Bravo <laughs> is there and then the Powerpuff Girls. Ooh. And I was like, wait, aren't these like Teletoon characters or aren't these YTV characters or Family Channel characters? I didn't know that they were all because you're right. It was very they were very much scattered amongst all the different channels that we watched cartoons on. So it makes mm-hmm. it harder to know. And Wallace and Gromit, I don't think that's technically a Cartoon Network franchise, is it? Because that was the, it, that was the it one was in this on Cartoon Network, but mm. it's not a Cartoon Network franchise per okay. se. So yeah, it just this this felt like the best uh, episode to include Wallace and yeah. Gromit on. Yeah, it was. We're not going to do one episode on Wallace and Gromit. <laughs> although I would love to talk about Wallace and Gromit you in could. one episode <laughs> someday. We have to, dude, because you mentioned those uh, those VHS uh, the the shorts from back in the day. I watched those. I think my sister got the box set for her birthday one year in like 2000. And we watched those three VHS tapes on repeat for a long time. (laughs) Really good British comedy. I love, I love those shorts. I've seen them all a lot and the movie is really good too. I love that. They've made a few other spinoffs since then. Uh, they've made Shaun like the sheep. Shaun the Sheep is a really I think Shaun the Sheep is now probably more well known than Wallace and Gromit are. I see more Shaun the Sheep merch than I do Wallace and Gromit stuff, which is really <laughs> a shame because Wallace and Gromit is a fantastic franchise. So, uh, yeah, that is a big part of my childhood, even though it's only maybe an hour and a half, two hours total of runtime. I can't imagine how long it took for them to produce all of that, but oh, yeah. the comedy is really good. I used to watch it all the time with my mom, who is British. We love all the jokes about you know cheese and crackers and tea, and <laughs> it's just super duper British. So it's uh it's hilarious to watch that stuff. And the Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy, I had a great time watching this show, really for maybe a year. It was on around the yeah. same time as Family Guy on weeknights, so I would watch the Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy, uh, which is hardly appropriate for children. It's just barely appropriate for I was maybe eleven or twelve. Uh, and then I'd watch Family Guy. So again, like I don't remember a ton about that show. I just remember the Grim Reaper being a Jamaican, a Jamaican voice, and thinking that was <laughs> absolutely hilarious. But lots to talk about with these shows. I, I can't dive deep enough into it in uh, this type of an episode. But Mike, I think with that, it's time that we get started with the games of the day. What do you think? Yeah, let's start with Wallace and Gromit, like we were talking about earlier, Neil. All right, cool. Wallace and Gromit in Project Zoo was released on October 14th, 2003, developed by Frontier Developments, published by BAM Entertainment. It's also on PS2, Xbox, and Windows. Rates a 6 out of 10, priced today at around $30. And this is like a platformer, like a puzzle platformer kind of game. And it's, of course, based on the British stop-motion franchise created by Nick Park and Ardman Animations. Uh, The show goes back to 1989. Mike, I had no idea it was that Mm -hmm. old, but it feels it when you go back and watch the the first uh, shorts that they had made. But uh, overall, this franchise over the years has made $420 million, so not too bad. And in researching for this episode, Mike, there's a film slated for 2024. If that gets to theaters, we're reviewing it on this show. Ooh, I would love that. I would, uh, yeah, it's it's been way too long since we had a, a, an actual uh, kind of standalone Wallace and Gromit uh, movie for sure. There's mm-hmm. uh, we did have there are four games uh, that have been developed for the series. Uh, of course, Project Zoo, 
uh, is the first one we'll be talking about here. Uh, there's also Curse of the Were-Rabbit, which came out in 2005 but did not get released on GameCube. No. Uh, I can put that on the list of games that I want to be on GameCube that weren't. That was on PS2 and Xbox. Um, we also got Shaun the Sheep, which was on the DS only. I thought yeah. it was interesting in 2008. I looked that one up. It's got about a 5 out of 10 on Metacritic, so <laughs> not great. It actually looks really interesting, though, because yeah. I think that they took like frames of the claymated Shaun the Sheep and put it on DS. So it's a really interestingly animated game, but it looks really slow and really big. Basic. I think it is. It's a kid's game through and through, no doubt. Sure. And there's uh, finally Grand Adventures on uh, 2009 for the Xbox 360. And, hmm. um, and that's it. And we haven't gotten any Wallace and Gromit media or, I guess, uh, games uh, since then. Well, we actually have. I know that you counted, I believe you said four games there. Mm-hmm. Um, there's actually technically 12, but most of them are PC games, like browser games. And then sure. there's also iOS and Android games, but we don't count phone games on this podcast. But the most recent <laughs> game technically in, in the Wallace and Gromit universe was actually released back in 2021. So it does still have a very weird slow burn. Um, but <laughs> I don't know anybody who plays any of these games. But yes, you are correct there are four mainline uh wallace and gromit games only one on the gamecube unfortunately i don't know why curse of the were rabbit was not on gamecube because that was based on a modern movie at the time yeah whereas this game is kind of based on more the the cartoons and the 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 movie shorts from back in the day um the villain in the game you have you're back with the penguin feathers mcgraw is the villain in this game i had no idea that was his name and i've I've seen that video (laughs) 50 times. <laughs> yeah, I actually had no idea what his actual name was. But yeah, you if you know Wallace and Gromit at all, you'll definitely recognize the penguin guy. He is is always the villain. Mm-hmm. Um, and I got to see the cutscenes of this game. Really, really good. Yes. Really sharp cutscenes. They look great. Because uh, I was curious how they would do it for a stop motion animation, you know, franchise. Mm. How do you translate that properly over to uh, 3D animation? And it's funny because... We're going to be talking about these other six games today and how they honestly don't translate that well to 3D from their 2D mm-hmm. uh, their 2D uh, shows. Or Wallace and Gromit actually translates pretty well because it's technically 3D. Yeah, it's already 3D. The character models are always 3D. They're made of clay. So you're right. It totally does translate well. The cutscenes do look nice. Even the even the actual gameplay animations look good too because the mm-hmm. characters are very basic. Like they're they're not. They're not hard to animate, obviously. Like, Gromit is one piece of clay. Like, he doesn't have limb. <laughs> he doesn't have joints or anything that really... He's very rubbery, obviously. And they, they made the wise move of somehow getting the voice of Wallace to come back to reprise his role. I guess he was still doing the role because he was doing the uh, the movie at the time. But uh, Peter Wallace uh, reprised his role. Peter Salas. Oh, sorry. Peter Salas reprised his role here. Uh, R.I.P., by the way. He passed away back in 2017, but he had a phenomenal career from 1946 to 2010. So he was 96 when he died, uh, which means he was 82 when he recorded the VO for this game, Mike, which got me thinking. He may be one of the oldest credited voice actors on the GameCube. Uh, it's it's got to be between him and Christopher Lee, who was also in his 80s. Uh, he was in 007 uh, GoldenEye Rogue Agent that we talked about several uh, several months ago. Christopher Lee was? Yeah. He was credited. I didn't know that. Oh, okay. (laughs) Yeah, he was credited in that game. That was uh, one of the roles that he had on IMDb, and he was also 82 in that game uh, as well. So... I'm assuming he was also in the Lord of the Rings, like, Two Towers, probably. I think they used his voice, too, and he may have been in the uh, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory game, but that game was mm-hmm. so bad, we didn't want to dive too deep into it. <laughs> that's fair. Oh, that's interesting. I forgot about, uh, you know what? I, I forget about Rogue Agent a lot, Neil. Yeah. Yeah, Golden Eye Rogue Agent. Better off to just not 
dig too deep into it if you can help it. But yeah, <laughs> no. But uh, this Wallace and Gromit game, it's a very short game. It's only three hours long. What's bizarre about this game, though, is that you play the entire game as Gromit, which was weird to me. I understand that Gromit is very much like the he's kind of the guy in the family, right? Like he is the one who kind of solves all the problems for Wallace. Wallace is the inventor of the family uh, mm-hmm. and Gromit ends up kind of cleaning up his mess. I totally get that. But What's weird is that there's no co-op in this game. Yeah. Like, one player yeah. playing as Wallace, the other player playing as Gromit. What, what do you think about that? That was the first thing I thought of. Like, yeah. the, immediately when I booted this up, I was like, wait, why is this not two-player? Like, right. This, is, this should be the two-player game, mm-hmm. you know, where you are, uh, uh, you know, exactly like you said, where one's Wallace, one's Gromit. Mm-hmm. I, I get – I kind of – somewhat get why i honestly just budget constraints and time probably and they're mm. like you know what let's just make a game for gromit uh we can probably do it easier than making one with wallace involved as well uh which is you know it's too bad that we didn't get that but even still the the platforming is is pretty fun it's again looks good the environment's really nice um the camera controls aren't the worst thing ever, as we're we'll be talking about in a couple of uh <laughs> a couple of games <laughs> here uh but honestly overall the game is good it doesn't do anything exceptional uh, in my opinion it 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 plays by the rules i think of what you would expect a game like this to be and i think the biggest con like you said neil would be the fact that i can't play this two-player i can't have gromit or i can't have wallace in here yeah totally i was thinking that this game could have ended up being very similar to the series of unfortunate events game because Mm -hmm. in that game you do have an inventor with violet who could have been like the wallace in this game and then you have your your Gromit, who is using, who's maybe good at using all of the weapons. Uh, you have like the porridge gun, the turnip launcher, springy boots, the the gyrocopter um, to battle all of the robotic minions and rescue baby animals and whatnot. So it's very much a typical platforming game. It, it checks all the boxes of being a good game. It doesn't quite leap over that bar of being a great platforming game. Like it's no Mario Sunshine, obviously. But it's better than some of the other uh, trash that we've covered on this podcast already, and better than a few of the games that we're going to be talking about later today. I think that my, my honestly, my one issue also with making Wallace and Gromit into a video game in this era, one, is that they didn't make it uh, after Curse of the Were-Rabbit, which would have made a lot more sense, but it really wasn't super relevant in this in, at this time until the movie yeah. came out, at, in my mind. What was far more relevant and would have made a better choice for a GameCube game would have been Chicken Run. Chicken Run, yeah. yeah. Uh, was there not a Chicken Run game? I believe there was. It wasn't on GameCube. It might have been a PS1 game now that I think about it. Hold on. It's a 2000 movie. Yeah. So. It might have been a PlayStation. Let's look it up right now. Hold on. Mm-hmm. Chicken Run video game on Wikipedia is a PlayStation 1, Dreamcast, and Game Boy Color game. So it they uh. did make one, but... I feel like they could have made some kind of a port or like gone the route of like the third age and made like a chicken run game not based on the movie, like just with the characters, like a sequel almost. I know that there probably is eventually going to be a chicken run sequel at some point because nothing is ever dead these days. <laughs> um, but it still would have made way more sense to have had a. I, I feel like chicken run was bigger at the time than Wallace and Gromit was. Oh, and f- for sure. I mean, the, the fact that it didn't get uh, the, the fact that. Because it was a Dreamcast game especially, I think that's what really piqued my interest when you said that, Neil. Mm-hmm. Because 
as we've talked about already on this podcast, so many Dreamcast games got made into GameCube games because uh, most of them came out in late 2000, early 2001, and they kind of remade them or remastered them or just ported them mm-hmm. right to the GameCube. That was kind of the thing to do. <laughs> so I'm really, uh, I'm really, really surprised that Chicken Run was not on the GameCube for that reason. It would have been awesome if they ported the Dreamcast version of Chicken Run to the GameCube randomly. <laughs> that would have been incredible. But yeah, that, that, that movie had such a great story that you could have made a su- yeah. such a fun GameCube game out of it. Like you could have had, you know, a lot of cool machines and like had the chickens. It could have been a stealth game sneaking around the farmers and the dogs and everything. It's... It's a shame, but uh, this was actually BAM Entertainment's, one of BAM Entertainment's last games. Uh, they published six games after this one, one of which we'll be talking about really soon, but this was towards the end of their their careers, unfortunately, and it's pretty obvious. I don't know what sales numbers they were looking at for a Wallace and Gromit in Project <laughs> Zoo game, but I can't imagine this game sold very many copies or printed very many copies at all. Now, I do have something to say about the cover art of this game. Mm, okay. Uh, the cover art is actually quite different between uh, between the two regions, uh, between the North American box art and the PAL box art. Uh, the North American box art, uh, it's got Gromit on it, and he's uh, he's holding, I guess, like the gun item the that you have gun. in the game. Yeah, the porridge gun. Thank mm-hmm. you. Yep. He's holding the porridge gun. And then on the uh, PAL one, uh, he's got like... Uh, um, the sheen gun, basically, like a, 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 a like a, what do you call those guns? Like a like Gatling gun? Ga- a Gatling gun. Yeah, exactly. He's got basically a Gatling gun on porch. <laughs> <laughs> and he looks like much more menacing on it too, because hmm. he kind of looks like, he looks weird because you see his entire body and his, it's just all, the, the animation of it looks looks strange, or the 3D art of it. But the 3D art of him holding the Porridge uh, Gatling gun looks way cooler. <laughs> and honestly, the box just pops a lot more, too. So um, I, I'm a much bigger fan of the PAL version of this box art. Hmm. I have seen this game in a game store near us at one point. I remember being like, what the hell is this? Uh, <laughs> not knowing it existed until I found it at, I forget what store it was now, but I, I think 30 bucks for this game is probably about as much as I'd be willing to pay for it. But we can talk about that more at the end of the episode. Mike, I think it's time that we read the back of the case for Wallace and Gromit. What do you think? Let's do it. All right. But first, Victor, hit us with that sweet jingle. It's time to read what's on the back of the case. There's things written on the back of the case. Let's read them. And now we're reading the back of the case. Go on, ruffle some feathers. Feathers wants to make diamonds, lots of diamonds, and he'll stop at nothing to achieve his dream. The villainous penguin is running his criminal empire from within the confines of the zoo. Now Wallace and Gromit must race to defeat Feathers and save the animals from a life of crime in this action-packed adventure. Bonus, unlock scenes from Ardman's award-winning film The Wrong Trousers, as well as The Snoozatron, Wallace and Gromit's latest short film from the Cracking Contraption series. I don't think I've seen that one, The Snoozatron. That's a that's I, one I gotta I look at. I don't know what that is. Why did they decide to put black on a dark blue background on the back of the case? That bothers me. But that's not good. Nope. Yeah, but not good a cover good. art, but not great back. <laughs> no, nope. back art leaves more to be desired. But moving on to our next game for today, which is the Powerpuff Girls Relish Rampage, was released on October thirteenth, two thousand three, a mere one day after after Wallace and Gromit, <laughs> developed by Vis Entertainment, published by Bam Entertainment. 
also who published Wallace and Gromit. What were they thinking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I mean, a different demographics, but still. Barely. Also on <laughs> PS2, rates a 5 out of 10, priced today at around $70. This is a platformer slash, would you call it a flight simulation game? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, I see. Yeah. Of course, it's based on the Powerpuff Girls series, which was released back in 1998. Uh, eventually spawned many series. It ran from 98 to 2005. Six seasons, 78 episodes in total. One feature film and one failed live action film still in development uh the power of girls mike have 13 video games a mix of handheld console and pc games the first one being released on game boy color which i found kind of funny because i think the first spongebob game was also released on game boy color so it's kind of funny that these cartoon tie-in games were kind of testing the waters on handhelds before eventually trying their hand uh on consoles now the powerpuff girls first attempt at a console game not great not great. Yeah, it's so I think one of the one thing I didn't even think of when I thought of Powerpuff Girls for a game was the flying aspect. And yep. in my mind, I'm like, ooh, Powerpuff Girls. You know, I remember watching it as a kid all the time. I love Powerpuff Girls. Um, and it's a pretty big like it, it has a lot of staying power. Like today, mm-hmm. you still see a lot of Powerpuff Girls stuff. You, it's a, it's definitely a favorite of millennials for sure. I have it's a Powerpuff a, Girls T-shirt. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, and I, I, it's you know, it's a, it, it's a really cool show, and I, uh, it's, it's, it's good for all ages, good for everybody, and mm-hmm. I always enjoyed it. And uh, I didn't even really think of how it was going to play out because I was just like, oh, that'll be cool. The animation will be cool, and it is. I actually like the cell shading in this a lot, mm-hmm. and how they were able to do it. It doesn't look too weirdly three D. But, uh, yeah, the worst part about this, Neil, is the f- constant flying. You're never really on the ground. Nope. And it's not good flying. It's, uh, how do I explain it? It's like it's like the world is moving around you and you're not kind yes. of thing. Is that like the best way you would say it, too? Yeah, I'm thinking back. I'm getting flashbacks to, remember Aquaman? when we covered Aquaman was exactly yeah. what I was going to say. <laughs> it is exactly what it feels like, which is unfortunate. But it does feel like you're moving a ball in a cube to fly around also you fly with the three girls at the same time and when one moves they all move the exact same way which is weird it's like you're flying it's literally like you're flying as magneton the pokemon (laughs) yeah that's really what i feel i feel like this is a magneton simulator which is really strange um but yeah the flying is not good like it's a very it's a very boring game to play too like straight up this game is basically flying from one end of the city to the other collecting things there is occasional combat but it mostly just boils down to punch and kick to get to the next part um and then you go collect more things and you're doing like fetch quests uh, essentially which i i can't stand fetch quest games i know that sometimes to like to advance in a modern game you have to do a lot of fetch quests but when a game is completely fetch quests (laughs) that is definitely not for me where this game shines for me though a bit like the wallace and gromit game is in the cutscenes. um yeah you're basically getting a mini powerpuff girls movie slash episode uh the uh the cutscenes are all uh all the voice actors from the show they look really good it's funny it's well written um so yeah i can't say enough good things about the cutscenes for the game and the story itself is actually pretty good there's a there's an election going on between mayor who's of course voiced by tom kenny and Mm -hmm. mojo jojo and now how is mojo jojo up for an election (laughs) is my question how how is he allowed to be how did he make it through the primaries (laughs) i know that was my thought too i like all uh, and everywhere you go in townsville uh you see all the like mojo uh uh like vote mojo yeah uh, posters. Now, Mojo there. Jojo is a vote for evil geniuses everywhere. <laughs> yeah. I love that. That was really good. It was funny. But, yeah. But but even but even to that point though, uh, that's probably the only life of Townsville 
You know, there's not a lot going on. No. The it's the buildings are very drab, like in the cartoon, but they don't have any life at all. It's literally like they're pa- a painted background. Mm-hmm. And when you're doing missions that are fetch quests, like you said, and are exploring the town, you would expect to have some kind of life going on. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyone walking the streets, like more, there's like one car every ten seconds. Yeah. Uh, it, so it it feels weird like that, but I I I can't overstate how horrible the flying is like it's just mm-hmm. you, it's just non-stop you're going so fast you can't control yourself you're constantly bumping into everything mm-hmm. uh it, it's it's you know what it almost felt like too it felt like crazy taxi but i had like the, <laughs> i had the gas on all the time yeah yeah you have no control over the speed it really does feel like a combination of crazy taxi aquaman superman 64 and the powerpuff girls which is too bad because the powerpuff yeah. girls pretty much from the time they came out until today they've been they're really popular like they, they've yes. never had really a downturn they've gone away obviously but the staying power of the show like you said mike is has never has never wavered at all and it's funny how i was just thinking about how certain cartoons that we grew up with you know you want to see what the rest of uh bikini bottom looks like you want to see what the south park town looks like you want to see what gotham looks like but there's certain shows or franchises i suppose where we really don't care what the town looks like and some games try it and they fail at it like simpsons hit and run is another good example where it's like we wanted to see springfield and they did it really well mm-hmm. uh I'm, I'm trying to think of other bad examples of how they've done this like was the animaniacs one too where they tried to flesh that out it didn't work well yeah um, yeah that was one i mean uh, uh the, uh, the one of the best examples is aquaman with atlantis exactly like, there's just like nothing going on down there. i know yeah exactly <laughs> it's it's funny how like we we attach on to certain franchises where we want to see more of the town but we already know that like you said the town of powerpuff girls is not a town worth seeing because it is very lifeless that the there's not a lot of characters in the show that we want to see there aren't a lot of locales that we want to explore more like i love scooby-doo i don't need to see a coolsville in a scooby-doo game like i just i only want to explore a haunted mansion in a scooby-doo game right like it's one of those things um there's there's many others that i could list but it like as part of a Powerpuff Girls game, though, you need to nail the flying, and to do that, you have to make a city interesting to fly mm-hmm. around in. And they unfortunately didn't do that, which is too bad. Gives me motion sickness, almost <laughs> like, like honestly, it just yeah. it's hard to watch. Uh, and another thing too that really miffed me was the fact of uh, the dialogue boxes. I don't know if you saw that, Neil, mm. but it's this big blue box that would will come up when dialogue is happening on screen. And it's scrolling text instead of like text appearing oh, no. as as the characters are talking. Like it's like scrolling like credits. It's really slow. Yeah. It's just it that really took me out of it. Uh, and that yeah, that was a strange move too. And and another thing is the arrow, the constant mm. arrow above your head yeah. all the time telling you where to go. It's like yes, I know I'm supposed to be like destroying these satellite dishes. I get it. Mm-hmm. I don't need this arrow constantly telling me for the entire game what I need to destroy. Because you also have the the map on the on the bottom right hand yeah. corner of the screen telling you where to go. Yeah, the the arrow was was just because we were learning how to interact in open worlds. So. Yeah. Back in the day, it actually made a lot of sense. I don't remember people complaining about arrows in video games, but now we do. Just because open world games have gotten to be more, uh, they're just better now. So we don't need it anymore. But to go back to it, it's a bit jarring. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. 
But yeah, it, it's just uh, uh, I, uh, IGN wrote uh, basically my description of it would be bad use of a good license. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of that. It really is. It's uh, it's not like an unplayable game for sure because I think the one thing to really take away is the cutscenes are really good and basically a movie, like you said. Mm-hmm. But uh, other than that, the game doesn't have a lot of redeemable qualities, and it's definitely not worth a seventy dollars price tag. No, definitely not. I think it's only seventy dollars because it is a collector's item now. Like Powerpuff Girls merch is only going to go up so if, if you can find the game for that for cheaper than that maybe but you're not gonna have a great time it's also very short like let's plays on this on this on youtube are two to three hours like it's not meaty at all and no. i know that that seems to be a common theme with a lot of uh licensed games from back in the day but like two to three hours is short even by those standards so yeah yep yep but with that mike let's hit the back of the case for powerpuff girls relish rampage and we will move on to our next game Townsville, in a relish rampage? The Powerpuff Girls, TM, are in a real pickle this time. Mojo Jojo, TM, in his bid to become mayor, has accidentally summoned an entire race of mutant pickles to Townsville, and they're taking over. Chaos reigns, and the whole city has gone mad. Or is that just plain marinated? It's time for some serious Powerpuff action. Your mission is to take on that bad monkey, Mojo Jojo, and then send those perilous polluting pickles back home. (laughs) Did they have to TM Powerpuff Girls? I guess they do. I was I was surprised they TM Mojo Jojo, but mm. uh, good to see he's got a TM. Good to see he's trademarked. That's why you don't see that name anywhere else. No one can name their child Mojo Jojo because of that <laughs> TM, Mike. Damn it. <laughs> Maybe someday. It'll be like the Turok thing where they if you name your kid Turok, they'll give you 10 grand. <laughs> Moving on to the next game of the day, which is Samurai Jack, The Shadow of a Coup, was released on March 24th, 2004. Developed by Adranium Games, Amaze, and Warner Bros. Published by Sega, which is interesting. It's also on PS2. Rates a 6 out of 10. Priced today at $100. This is a platformer action game, and it is, of course, based on the Samurai Jack cartoon of the same name which aired from 2001 to 2004 total of five seasons 41 episodes and three video games never had a movie but uh, we did get that revival back in 2017 so i can Mm -hmm. maybe see one coming uh in the not too distant future but we'll have to wait and see um this is very much like all of the other games that we've talked about so far all of the original voice actors came back to reprise their role uh including jennifer hale who who i was interested to find i was like that name sounds familiar and uh, she mm-hmm. voiced samus from the metroid prime series which is really cool that's right her fingerprints are all over gamecube games she does a lot of voice mm-hmm. acting for the games but yeah samurai jack jen jendy tartakovsky as uh the guy who created it and He's a big well. He did Dexter's Lab, of course, Neil. Yeah, which uh, did not have a GameCube game, unfortunately. I'm I'm sad about that too. But I I love Dexter's Lab. Me too. Dexter's Lab is one of my favorite shows ever, and I'm really really upset that there was never a GameCube game yeah. for it. But um, Jenny was really really uh, taken with uh, Akira Kurosawa mm. and his films, and you can see that in the show. It's very much a stark lighting. Uh, the the um, I don't know what you would call it, but the 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 small screen. Kind Kind of where the, the the black bars are way up on the top and they kind of closes in yeah like you're like you're uh you're kind of squinting your eyes it's mm-hmm. a, that move they would do that a lot in samurai movies <laughs> and and like Samurai Jack, just in general, the animation, the art style, the even the dialogue is very much a love letter to those Kurosawa samurai films from uh, from the sixties and uh, and fifties. So it's it's cool to watch Samurai Jack as an adult. Yeah, but I will say playing the game uh, and for a cartoon that had such an amazing artwork uh they did him dirty in terms of what he actually looks like yes yeah the game oh my god the opening like the <laughs> right when you start the game up like the cutscene the cutscenes look terrible the game itself looks 
better. But yes, yeah, he yeah. looks awful in the cutscenes, which is too bad because they did such a good job with the Powerpuff Girls. I thought that the character animations in that game are actually pretty good. They are. Um, we didn't talk about that. But with this game, they went off the rails. I don't know what happened there. They should have kept it with like 2D, made it more like a cartoon, like an episode of the cartoon or a full length movie instead, and then cut to the, the 3D cell shaded style animation yeah. within the within the game. But yeah, they they screwed up the character royally. Speaking of Samurai Jack, Mike, was I the only person who thought that Samurai Jack looked like the professor from Powerpuff Girls? Mm, you know what? Maybe there's a connection there, Neil. Both Cartoon Network. I always so. thought there was like a crossover there, like just waiting to unfold. It never happened. They are different characters. I believe that's been confirmed. But I always <laughs> thought that uh, that they were the same. But the game itself, the combat was actually pretty diverse. I was surprised to yep. read that uh, you have 25 different moves and combo attacks with you have some weapons in there. You've got uh, shurikens. You have a bow and arrow. There's a lot you can do with the character, which is pretty cool. Um, I think you can end up just playing the game with punches and kicks if you really want to. Um, but there's also a special mode where you can uh, you can build up enough power and you use your Sakai mode, um, which is kind of cool. Um, but other than that, really, like you, you watch gameplay and you play the game, and the AI in this game is really basic. It's too bad that that combat, like those combat moves, couldn't have gotten to a point where you're almost like swords dancing with the other characters, almost like from Wind Waker. Yeah, exactly. It's you said it perfectly. The the combat is really really nicely done. It feels really good to play it. Like having your katana uh feels like slick. It feels nice. It, everything works properly, especially in this era. A lot of times stored games like this uh are slow or just things don't work correctly. But um uh yeah, the worst part about the gameplay, I would say, is yeah, the 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 slow and just like almost unresponsive AI. Uh, yeah. It just doesn't really... Because the, the thing is that you're doing basically sword arts. You're doing so many cool things mm-hmm. with your blade. You're, you're slowing down time. You're uh, There's so many different combos that you can do, and you learn a lot of different stuff on the way. Mm-hmm. And the AI doesn't really grow to that or respond to it. So you're, you're doing these cool moves, but the, it's just like the AI just kind of sitting there yeah. waiting to get chopped down. Yeah, and the bad guys are all like faceless enemies anyway. Like the enemies yeah, never exactly. get super interesting, which is a common theme with a lot of these games. We're going to talk about one later where it's like, who, who am I fighting against exactly? It's just hordes of enemies that you really don't care about in the end. I was thinking about, like, who could do a good Samurai Jack game, Mike? Because, like, I think mm. that the, the franchise itself is great for a video game. Like, we, we've had Japanese-inspired games. Like, we had that Ghost of Tsushima game a few years ago. Like, there's mm. obviously a market for it. And I think that they could do one that's a little bit more G-rated and based on this franchise. And I was thinking what would be really cool is if Clover Studio made a Samurai Jack game. They made Okami. The, oh, um, yeah. Yeah, that wolf game, like the Zelda yeah. game that everybody loves. Like, I, that art style is it's one of the most beautiful video games of all time. Um, mm-hmm. If they had given it to Samurai Jack to that studio, I think we would have had a much better looking game than what we ended up with. And just think about what they could do on current gen consoles with Samurai Jack and that studio. Yeah, just unfortunate that Samurai Jack basically had to get the 3D yeah. platform action adventure treatment that literally every single game uh, and franchise at this time had to get and Mm -hmm. really that's the downfall with almost all these games is the fact that they were basically forced to to try and be something that they weren't you know Mm -hmm. quite frankly like samurai jack uh, especially with that art style just it should not be 3d there's just no need for it at all 
and uh, and that's where the big fa- failing is for sure in that sense. And they they did a good job gameplay wise. Like it's much much better than Powerpuff Girls if mm-hmm. we're going to compare the two. Yeah, because I can actually play it and not want to blow my brains out while mm-hmm. flying around. Uh, and like I said, <laughs> the sword arts are really fun. But it just it, it's not Samurai Jack. Like this could be you could put anybody here mm-hmm. in terms of a character. And it yeah. wouldn't matter, right? Yeah, I was literally thinking like this could be a Star Wars game. Like you, yeah. could, you could literally, and it would have actually been a pretty decent one, like a good action mm-hmm. Jedi game. Like just replace his sword with a lightsaber and put him in space instead of in East Asia or wherever he's supposed to be, and uh, it would have been pretty good. And they could have done it well with the um, the Clone Wars cartoon at the time. Yeah, but uh, yeah, you really could slap just about anything on there, which is uh, too bad. But it's another short game. It's only four hours. A hundred dollars though, like that's crazy. I don't think I've ever seen this game in a store though. No, neither have I. Only maybe once or twice, and it's uh, it's definitely quite hard to find. And I would assume that it just wasn't or just had a low print run. Yeah. Uh, the the show was definitely a very much a niche, so it's actually quite. Uh, surprising to me that even even got a game at all mm-hmm. uh, and only for ps2 i assume what happened usually neil when we see just for ps2 that means that the pc and xbox versions got canceled uh, and so one can only assume that's what happened here and the game uh, boy advance version too <laughs> yes yeah, yeah yeah exactly but uh so i would assume it didn't sell very well those versions got canceled mm-hmm. and then it's a low print run because of that and we're left with whatever copies we got yeah and bam entertainment as we uh learned from the last episode as we learned from the last game we talked about we're slowly going out of business so they couldn't <laughs> afford to publish more more games on any other consoles uh want to talk about the box art though really quick it, it it's okay um, uh, I don't know. Like, I'm not super thrilled about it. Like, you've got this weird character. Uh, you got Samurai Jack, of course, on the front with his sword. He's doing his thing. Someone behind him. But it doesn't exactly, like, invite me to play the game, you know? Like, it's not great. Yeah, it's it's not great. Uh, I'm not sure why Aku is, like, in black and white on the background. But, uh, but yeah. uh, and the fact that he's kind of done in this uh, semi-3D style instead of just the flat design that mm-hmm. they had for him for other things. Uh, rated for T14, though, which was a little surprising to me, uh, considering this is these are all kind of kids' games. But I guess all the this, the sword fighting and smashing and things uh, would make it T. Yep, mild violence. That'll, that'll just about do it. But, uh, yeah, I really wish that, like, one franchise had the balls in this generation to say, no, no, we're going to keep it 2D. Like, when you play a game like Cuphead today, which is based on uh, animation, an animation style from like the 40s, uh, it would have been great to have seen a cartoon try to replicate its graphics on the GameCube as opposed to doing this 3D animated garbage that a lot of, unfortunately, uh, video <laughs> games did back in the day. But nevertheless, let's hit the back of the case for Samurai Jack, The Shadow of a Coup, and we'll move on to the next game of the day. Live the legend of Samurai Jack, born and bred a warrior. Samurai Jack is thrust into a future by his nemesis, a coup. In his travels, Jack learns of a time portal that can reunite him with his ancient ancestors. Now he must battle Aku's minions across burning villages, massive forests, and the bustling Aku city to find the portal. Yeah, that's the other thing with this game, like the settings. There's so many big areas that you play in that are so empty that are just full of villain, like of, of random AI bots coming at you. Yeah. Uh, it would have been cooler to have this just all set in like one small area, like one temple that you're going through. 
uh, to, to get to a coup or something. That would have been a, a better way, in my opinion. It's also an incredibly vague uh, back of the kit, like <laughs> summary of the game. Like as a, an outsider to the series, like I don't remember a ton about Samurai Jack, mm-hmm. but this tells me very little. Like, I mean, it tells me about Samurai Jack and his nemesis, a coup, and now he's traveling for a time portal and he must travel across nameless villages, nameless forests, and a nameless city. <laughs> yeah, yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah, very generic. It's too bad. They could have maybe brushed on like a little... Add, add a TM in there if you need to, as we've learned. <laughs> <laughs> TMs help. They do. Moving on to the next game of the day is Carmen Sandiego, The Secret of the Stolen Drums. Oh, no. Was released on September 13th, 2004. Developed by Artificial Mind and Movement. Published again by BAM Entertainment. It's also on PS2 and Xbox. Rates a 5 out of 10. Not great. Priced today at around $25, and this is a platformer. This franchise has quite a few more uh, video games, though. 22 Carmen Sandiego, Carmen Sandiego games between 1985. The most recent one, Mike, this will surprise you, was released in 2020 on Netflix. Yeah, I actually knew of uh, of that happening because uh, I was like, wait, what? Uh <laughs> Uh, I was kind of interested in it, but yeah, uh, I, I would assume most of those games are PC games. I know yeah. there were a ton of Carmen Sandiego games. There were often cereal box games as mm-hmm. well, so yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, no, this is uh, one of the first games, or this is the first game in the series where you control the character in the 3D space, which makes this the Ocarina of Time of Carmen Sandiego. <laughs> uh yeah uh not quite but <laughs> it, it's carmen san diego is an interesting beast in terms of like how how you would do a console game they didn't do it terribly no. uh but it also again it's just not very good or memorable i think you're best to stick with the pc games one thing i thought was interesting was the cutscenes and how they handle cutscenes. Yeah. There's a lot of dialogue in this game. It's basically a movie within the game. Uh, and they handle cutscenes in different ways. They handle it in these kind of, uh, I guess, comic book panel mm-hmm. style. You think of Ultimate Spider-Man style, where you see these comic book panels come and go, and you see the, the speech bubbles go over their head, and it's just still animation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they also have some uh, versions where it's completely 3D animated, uh, looks like a bit like a bad Jimmy Neutron. Uh, and then there's also ones where they are kind of comic book style, but they're talking and the uh, the characters are, you know, their their mouths are moving and everything. And like they're, the, the speech is coming out, but it's uh, it's not like a fully 3D realized animated version. And. The way the first thing I thought of when I saw this was Yakuza, mm. Yakuza Zero specifically, because that is done in a similar way where there's like three different animation styles, and it basically the animation styles basically depend on how serious it is in the story. I guess you could say, <laughs> uh, if it's something that you know you can't skip, like this is a big part of the story, it'll be fully animated, look beautiful. Hmm. Uh, I mean, at the time this was probably you know beautiful, but <laughs> uh, look beautiful and look really nice, and then. Uh, there's ones that are more just kind of like mm, 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 people grunting as mm. the text goes on underneath right. and they're not really moving their mouths or anything. They're just kind of standing there. Uh, and then there's ones that are kind of in between the two. So, uh, I like when games do that. It's kind of jarring to see it today in like this kind of yeah. 2004 game because of the, the, the bad animation. But, uh, I still, 
appreciate what they did. I remember that really weirding me out when I, I think the first time I ever saw that was when I played Fire Emblem on 3DS, where mm. I think there's three different cutscene animations in that game, uh, Fire yes. Emblem Awakening. And it's like, wait, what, what am I paying attention to? I don't really get this. But yeah, I, I kind of, I, I see where you're coming from with the cutscenes in, in this game. I actually really like the parts of the game where you're getting intel from someone i don't know the names but, but they're like giving you <laughs> yeah yeah that's what i was talking yeah they're about. giving you information about the city or the country where you're going which is really cool it's it's that edutainment part that made carmen san diego so popular in the mm-hmm. 80s and 90s it was teaching kids about geography mm-hmm. which is neat like you know it's giving giving you information about uh, new zealand telling you that like, you know the yeah. locals are commonly referred to as kiwis and it's like oh you know it's just like fun <laughs> little facts like that it, it's really neat but the gameplay itself is kind of a mix of like really every game in one it's really i don't know how to describe it other than like you watch it and you can see like stealthy parts kind of like something out of splinter cell or even a james bond game and like you know he he grapples along walls and stuff that actually kind of reminds me of current like uncharted games which is really neat i was thinking of tomb raider that was that was kind of what i was thinking that was the first thought yeah tomb raider like even beyond good and evil with his staff like really i watched that i watch gameplay and i and i look at this game and i just think like this is really a combination of every action open world game today it's just this game is yeah. obviously not open world and it's not the greatest of stealth games ever uh, unfortunately it's i don't think it's supposed to be a stealth game because there are parts of the game where you can't be stealthy um the ai is also ridiculously dumb in this game it really is mm-hmm. like a kid's really like a james bond game almost I, I like just with the audio the sound design and like the music like there's parts where you're you're going through i don't know like some I forget where they were now, like some kind of a base somewhere. And it just like reminded me of a James Bond level, but you're not playing as Bond and the graphics are not quite as sharp. And obviously it's not nearly as violent. Um, But yeah, it it kind of just reminds me of a lot of games wrapped into one, which isn't terrible. It's just when you do that, you run the risk of not doing any of those things well, which this game doesn't. Yeah, I definitely think of it as like a Kids Uncharted for sure. Like that's kind of the first thing I thought of. Uh, A little bit like Dinotopia as well. Had a bit of the same animation and like the... Uh, the characters as well and like the setting that's what it reminded me of it's uh, and like Dinotopia it's just kind of there's games that are better than this that exist that are basically doing the same thing mm-hmm. yeah like you you hear about what you're supposed to do in this game like you you receive emails from other agents you get you get geographical information as you that you collect through the game you you collect maps and you get detailed information on other locations which is all really cool in theory and a lot of games do this today uh this game was probably a little bit ahead of its time and if they had just maybe if they have done this again years later they would have ended up with an uncharted or a tomb raider clone unfortunately so mm-hmm. other games like i said have done all of these things quite a bit better um but it is one of a kind on gamecube there really isn't anything like this where you're traveling to real world cities in in an adventure even just traveling like around the world in general like you don't see this at all on, on gamecube so it's it's it was a good attempt uh i just think it might have been better in the hands of a diff maybe a different uh, license or with an original idea yeah, New York City, New Zealand, of course, Machu Picchu. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was that was probably that's a really good point, Neil. That was definitely the coolest part of the game, I would yeah. say, uh, and just made it different. And uh, the there were Carmen Sandioga games on the Wii as well. I did come back to the Wii and uh, a couple other. Uh, I think it was like the a series of games. They were all the math games. Okay, uh, that were on the Wii from 2011 to 2012. Uh, there's even a French language Carmen Sandiogi game like that just made for France and Quebec. So uh, there's a lot of cool stuff like that that Carmen Sandiogi has done and uh, has definitely pushed the, the 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 envelope in terms of what you can do for kind of an educational slash fun game. Mm-hmm. 
so I got to give Carmen San Diego the franchise a lot, a lot of credit for that. But this game, its first foray into 3D, not so great. I think it definitely works best in a 2D kind of space uh, for the PC. For sure. That's where it'll stay, unfortunately. But let's hit the back of the case of Carmen San Diego, The Secret of the Stolen Drums, and we'll move on to the next game. Acme agent in training, Cole Gannon cracks a code, and now he's hot on the trail of Carmen Sandiego, the world's greatest thief. This case will take him around the world, from a museum in New York to the beaches of New Zealand, to the Incan ruins of Machu Picchu, and that's just the beginning. While on his case, he will have to use acrobatics, stealth, martial arts, and most of all, his wit to stay on Carmen's trail. Not a great back or front of the case. This game is just very underwhelming, like in general. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and we'll get the games like that definitely. But uh, let's talk about uh, a game in a series that I'm I'm a fan of. Sure thing, Mike. Let's move on to Codename Kids Next Door Operation Video Game was released on October 16th, 2005. Developed by High Voltage Software, published by Global Star Software. It's also on PS2 and Xbox. Rates a 6 out of 10. Priced today at around $60. This is a platformer. And Mike, in case you were wondering, video game stands for Villains in Detention, Escape, Outpost, Growing, Amalgamation, Mega, Enormously. Yes, of course, uh, video game uh, the uh, with all the dots in between. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the Codename Kids Next Door loved their acronyms. Yeah. Every single episode was uh, an acronym, and they would always make kind of uh, an interesting what the acronym actually was the at the opening. And yeah, it was always like ra- really random things. Yeah, because uh, even Kids Next Door candy would stand for different th- things as they were uh, going along in the stories. But uh, yeah, this, uh, this game, but this series, I, I have a big affinity for this series. I absolutely loved it as a kid. I watched this constantly. This was one of my favorite shows on TV. I thought the lore of it and the complexity and the depth of this show was crazy and way beyond anything else that was on TV for kids at the time. And I think honestly, still, uh, it was really ahead of its time in that way. Uh, and I, I don't know, there's something about that show. Even today I was, I was watching well, this week. I was watching some episodes. I watched the last episode, Neil. Oh, that episode is crazy. It's nuts. Like hmm. I was, my jaw was to the floor. I was, I was speechless. I was without speech. You were without speech. Well, what's <laughs> crazy to me, Mike, is that the show started in 2002 and it ran until 2008. I had no idea it went until we were in year two of high school, basically. Like, I, yeah. I have not, I didn't watch it much past junior high, if that. No, neither did I. Um, so I'm glad to hear. Are you going to go back now and watch? Do you think you'll watch the series from start to finish? I kind of like to now because mm-hmm. the, like, I can't, I, I don't want to spoil it. Like, I can't o- under, or overstate it enough. <laughs> uh, the, that the, the final episode is nothing like I have ever seen on a kid's cartoon show. Like, I was, I was floored of what was happening. I think what I like about the show is always just that, like, the kids, the characters felt real. Like, then they have they other, did. they had, like, older siblings, too, which helped. Like, the older siblings had kind of grown out of this kind of phase of being, like, a, a kid, a, a childhood, like, I guess, agency, uh, like, going on missions and stuff. Like, you can kind of feel like that there had been generations before them and the show had history to it. Whereas when you watch other cartoons that try and do the same thing, they kind of miss out on that important part of making the characters feel like they're from real life in some way yeah um so that's really what the show did well and it it kind of felt like like it captured what we did as kids too like we did we, yeah we set up tree houses and we you know r- rode around on bikes with walkie talkies we didn't make anything nearly as elaborate as some of the machines from this show <laughs> or this video game but still like it, it did a good job of like kind of capturing what you thought you were doing in in a cartoon yeah the a- imagination aspect of this cartoon can't mm-hmm. be understated it's so 
it's so unique in that in that aspect and i think the creators did a great job of it and like i i you always you definitely feel an affinity to at least one of the the five characters and mm -hmm. uh, yeah uh and it's always nice to see but yeah in the, in the video game itself uh, i got to play it a lot this week uh i own this game i bought it for ten dollars neil so good deal uh, good very good deal hearing that sixty dollars now and mine is in really good condition uh it's the game itself looks great, first of all. It, it looks amazing. Uh, I was really, really happy about that. The character models honestly translated pretty well into 3D. This might be one of the best ones in terms of how it translated uh, compared to some of the other ones. Uh, and But the one thing I would say that I really didn't love about this game was the fact that you're only ever playing as one character at a time. Yeah. Uh, and the characters are so much of a team, you know, each one helps each other out. Each one has different, uh, different abilities. I, and I, again, I think back to series of unfortunate events, uh, as a kind of a, a bookmark of what a good movie or cartoon tie-in should do. And for them, you know, they use all three kids really well in, uh, in each space. And they also make these really elaborate weapons. And I thought that I'd be doing the same thing here with Codename Kids Next Door because in the show, they're always making super elaborate weapons and really interesting yeah. stuff. But instead, you just kind of have the same, you know, uh, each character has their own individual weapon, but it's the same throughout the game. Uh, uh, number one has his mustard gun. Uh, number five, she basically just is melee and she has double jumps and stuff too. Uh, mm -hmm. And so it's... It, it feels like a missed opportunity in that sense. Yeah, because they basically cut out the part, like you said, of the show that, that makes it great, which is the kids as a team. Now, there's five kids in the group. Is that is it number five yeah. it goes up to? That's a shame because there's only four GameCube ports. I'm sure that if it was four, they would have been just fine. Like, the Fantastic yeah. Four was made for GameCube. Like, Team Titans <laughs> worked well, too. A Ninja Turtles game works well. Like, there are certain games where the team... The team thing works well, but I feel like if you can't do that, you're better off not because I was playing this game with you and like when you're playing, when you're playing them separate, it just feels like that you're playing a less fun, I don't even know what game it would be like, but like, you know, number one has like his, not a porridge shooter, but he has like a potato gun or something. Mustard shooter. Must, mustard shooter. Thank you. He's just like running around with his mustard shooter. He's not very not very great at shooting, uh, but he he's doing that. And then you switch over to another character and they're a bit more agile or something. And then you switch over to another character and it's like, you're just playing like a less fun superhero game, I guess. Like, like if you were to play a Fantastic Four game where you're just playing as the thing, like what would be the point yeah. of that? You know, yeah. like, like you're just playing a Hulk game basically, but like the point of the show is that it's all the characters teaming up to, to fight something and to isolate them is just not... It's not the point. Like it's missing out on what it's supposed to be. So I was, I was, yeah, because I, I, I thought they could have at least done, you know, going uh, at least two people at a time on screen. Sure. Uh, I definitely get why you wouldn't have all five. That that makes sense to me, especially in two thousand five. But uh, having two at a time would make a lot of sense and work with the store and the lore. Uh, mm -hmm. Number one and five often work together, uh, and mm -hmm. number three and four often work together. Number one and two work together a lot. So it's like they mm -hmm. all have their individual relationships and also their like partner relationships. So I think that was a big miss in that sense. That said, the story is still quite good, and they do a good job with it because the story and the lore and everything in this game is so interesting anyways. They got all the voice actors back. That's great to see. I definitely felt like I was in a video game that was only meant for Codename Kids Next Door. That's for sure. Uh, definitely felt like I uh, didn't feel like any other game in that sense. Um, but another con would be the enemies, which did feel like any other game. Mm -hmm. uh, the, other than the bosses, of course, the bosses are good. 
the boss battles are fine, but yeah. uh, the bosses in and the, like the villains in Codename Kids Next Door are so iconic and so well done. Uh, and uh, it was kind of good to see some of them here, but the just the random AI enemies that you fight, uh, just like in uh, Samurai and Shack, could have been anything. Yeah, and the game is very much running through tunnels to get... You're really just playing the game to get to the boss fight at the yes. end of the day. Like, you're getting through hordes of enemies, some that you can literally just run through to get to the next <laughs> checkpoint. Uh, faceless enemies, faceless robots, or weird mutant alien things that you, you run through, which is fine, but, like... Like, one of our favorite games on the GameCube, Battle for Bikini Bottom, is kind of that, too. But you you kind of want to explore every level. This game, I didn't get the feeling like I wanted to explore everything. No, because you're just in a random level that has nothing to do with the, the setting of the show. Yeah, you're not in Jellyfish Fields. You're not in the Krusty Krab. You're not in the Chum Bucket. Like, you're just in a sewer. You're just in a warehouse. Like, it's it's yeah. all very meaningless and like there's collectibles everywhere there's random so many collectibles milkshakes or whatever <laughs> it is that you're collecting pieces of candy for no apparent reason you have like a counter going up it's like i don't know what what am i building up to uh, who knows um so yeah like, like they've just missed out on what they've just missed out on i guess what makes a collectathon mm -hmm. special too um which is another miss uh you did say that the voice actors came back which is good I got the sense that the voice actors didn't record much outside of their cutscenes, though, because they do repeat what they say quite a bit. Yes. Um, I'm also not a huge fan of every time when you jump uh, your, your character. Uh, yeah. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I hate that. I don't know who thought that that was a good idea back in the day, but for some reason, every time you jump, you have to hear a grunt. So it's one of those games that you can play without the volume on. Uh, <laughs> the music itself is not very special either. No. It's not super iconic. Uh, I remember the theme song of the show being good, but everything yeah. else I would not recognize to to hear it um the characters themselves also move a little bit slow there were times yeah. where i was like man i really could use the sprint button right about now <laughs> yeah sprinting in this game would have would have helped a lot for sure it does get a little slow and mm. one thing i would say to improve the game that i would have liked is we do have a level where they are in the treehouse in the tutorial because the treehouse is the iconic part of the show sure but that's about it and i would love to see something where they are trapped in the treehouse for whatever reason and they can't mm. get out, and they need to now go through this entire massive treehouse. Mm. And that would make it really, really interesting to me, I think. Almost, I think of it like a Luigi's Mansion style, where he's just kind of trapped yeah. in the mansion. He's going to different floors, and each floor is a different thing. I think that would have been really, really interesting and made me want to explore more, get collectibles, understand the world. You know, maybe I'll pick up some items with item descriptions, because, again, the, the lore is super complex in this game, in this uh, uh, this franchise. So that's what I would have liked to have, is a is a game where I'm just exploring the treehouse. Totally. But, Mike, unfortunately, we only got two Codename Kids Next Door games in total. We got uh, Operation Video Game, and then we got Operation Soda, which is a 2D platforming game developed by Vicarious Visions on the Game Boy Advance, which came out around the same time. Uh, I haven't played Soda, but I should look I should look into that game because usually these 2D platforming companion games were pretty good. Yeah, yeah, usually uh, uh, for most of the games we've covered, they, they've been the better one. Yeah, they're at least enjoyable. But <laughs> let's hit the back of the case of Codename Kids Next Door Operation Video Game and move on to the next game of the day. But before I do, Mike, I think you own this game, so I'll, I'll let you do the honors. Oh, sure. Thank you, Neil. All right. 
Play as all five Kids Next Door operatives. That's technically true. Uh, <laughs> get ready for an epic showdown. Father masterminds an Arctic prison break to free some of the most notorious and nasty villains the kids have ever battled. Of course, earlier on in this podcast, I did say that Father is one of my top villains of all yes. time. He is scary. I forgot that Father is like the ultimate villain in this show, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah he's uh, he's just kind of like a shadow figure and he turns into a whole bunch of stuff. He's He freaked me out as a kid. Mm-hmm. Complete your missions through 14 action-packed levels. Gather power-ups for operative power boosts. I do like how they write things uh, down. I always... I think it's supposed to be in his accent. Is that the idea? Or... Yeah, it's supposed to be in his accent, yeah. Yeah. And uh, uh, on the cover, though, I will say I didn't love what how they did it because, first of all, why is number four so prominent on yeah. here? Uh, he is not the one who I would expect <laughs> to be that prominent. Uh, they really should have had all... Uh, kind of all of them really prominent on the case instead of them in the background. Two of them aren't facing forward. Yeah, I know. Two of them are facing <laughs> forward. But I do like on here, uh, exclusive uh, amalgamation trading card inside from Wizards of the Coasts. Oh. Uh, I um, did not have that trading card. It's not in my copy. But Was that a card game that I've forgotten about? I guess so. Huh. Very interesting. We should look into that. Try and learn some Codename Kids Next Door card game. But in the meantime, let's hit the next game of the day, which is Ed, Ed, and Eddie. The Miss Ed Ventures was released on November 3rd, 2005. Developed by Artificial Mind and Movement. Published by Midway. It's also on Game Boy Advance, PS2, Xbox, and Windows. Rates a 5 out of 10. Nothing today will break the 6, I swear. Priced today (laughs) at around $40, and it is a platforming game. And this is uh, based on the show Ed, Ed, and Eddie, which ran for 10 years. I had no idea it went for that long, from 1999 to 2009. Uh, in February of 2005, Midway announced a licensing deal with Cartoon Network to develop games based on three of their properties. Games to be developed were uh, Ed, Ed, and Eddie, The Misadventures, The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy, and Mike. There was a Dexter's Laboratory game, which was later canceled during development, which is too bad. We were this close to getting a... uh, to getting a Dexter's Laboratory game back in the day, but we missed out, unfortunately. But we did get Ed, Ed, and Eddie, the game. So, uh, let's talk about this game. Mike, what do you think of it? (laughs) Well, uh, so, yeah, I remember, like I said, I remember watching Ed, 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 and Eddie. I never watched it that much. Uh, I weirdly remember watching it at my mom's like hairdresser i guess i went with her a couple times when i was when i was little and uh i guess they had a tv there and i remember (laughs) i don't know why i remember this but i remember ed Ed and eddie was on and uh watching it there but yeah never really got into it that much but the game itself uh it's a weird show and man it's a weird game (laughs) (laughs) that's all i gotta say they definitely (laughs) captured the weirdness of the show in this game my favorite part uh, we talked about this offline but the characters running animation (laughs) is worth worth specifically eddie's (laughs) (laughs) which one is eddie mike can you name the one in the he's the bigger one he's the taller one he's the big the big He's, he's kind of the idiot, right? Is he yeah, the, yeah, yeah. He's got the unibrow, the short hair. I, I like all – the characters are really funny. It's got like a Beavis and Butthead kind of vibe to it. But the whole show is just incredibly weird. I never got into it either back in the day. I remember it being on in the – I guess it was the early 2000s, being on like late at night. But I would take a game with this where there's no objective. You just run around flailing like an idiot uh, to – to, to get to the end of the game, I guess. I don't know what you'd be doing. But uh, an interesting promotion for this game that doesn't happen anymore is uh, to promote the game, Cartoon Network and Midway released the Ed Ventures interactive Flash game, which is on the now defunct uh, website midwaycartoon.com. 
And uh, the, the game allows viewers to visit the bedrooms of the three main characters. You can interact with clickable objects, such as video games, uh, pictures of the game, character biographies, and quizzes. You can collect the nine jawbreakers in the rooms, uh, which allow the players to download hints uh, in the game, uh, which is not quite as fun as... Uh, runners dressed as donkey kong carrying dk bongos in the los angeles <laughs> marathon but it's something uh not great though um, yeah, I, I do not want to see eddie's bedrooms no <laughs> how gross do you think these guys bedrooms is just jawbreakers everywhere yeah. and that's uh that's what you collect neil so big shout out there at least that the collectibles are real in this game mm, rather than true. kids next door um you collect jawbreakers and that's what they had in the show that was the thing that they were trying to get all the time uh, they were obsessed with jawbreakers, and they always had them in their mouths, and uh, I thought that was pretty funny. The uh, the cell shading on this in this game is interesting. It's mm-hmm. like the characters themselves are cell shaded, but the rest of the environment is almost like painted, right? If you know what I mean? Yeah, it, it's in, it's actually not terribly animated. It's interesting. It's, it's not terrible. It's, it's just unique. Different. Yeah, it's unique. It's two D characters interacting in a three D space, which is which is kind of cool. It's funny because the games that we've talked about so far today were all very slow-moving games for the most part, except for maybe Powerpuff Girls, which I don't <laughs> know what... Too fast. Too fast. This one is also a little bit too fast, too, yeah. where like, there's a bit of a blur effect because the camera moves behind these flailing characters so quickly that it doesn't really have a chance to render what's going on. And there is a lot going on in some of these environments. They're incredibly fleshed out. Like, you go to a construction site at one point, and there's just amazing amount of crates and cranes and buckets and barrels and and everything going on like things can be destroyed um so the the world itself is actually pretty well put together uh this is one of those games that i talked about earlier where it's like i did i don't need to see the ed ed and eddie world but apparently (laughs) i do like they did they actually did a pretty good job of making the world a cohesive place to explore they did it actually was pretty like the setting was well done in that sense like they did a good job again i think this is a better use of it than powerpuff girls and codename kids next door they did mm-hmm. a, a a good job of of exploring their little area their little town they're not going really anywhere else other than uh the sewers and the sewers were even really interesting that was a cool level yeah uh, i enjoyed that one a lot but um yeah it just i, I think just the the weirdness of it mm-hmm. uh like it's it looks so strange uh the uh, it I think really just should have been a two D platformer though more than anything, uh, rather than trying for the adventure mode because it does get old after a while. But you could say this for every single one of these games. Um, it's pretty annoying having all the Eds follow you. Yeah, and this this was a bit like Powerpuff Girls except for this one they would get stuck all the time. <laughs> uh, there's always you're guaranteed to at least have one Ed get stuck mm. uh which 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 uh, got me angry uh and the fact that your enemies are just again uh like all the other games for these it's just these random small animals like squirrels you're constantly fighting squirrels <laughs> and it just uh, like constant waves of them too yeah. there's there's times where i'm like just let stop just i know i want to just enjoy the game but that was the only way to pad out these games back in the day and they padded it out to a solid three hours of gameplay i suppose <laughs> but they did a better job of using the three characters than the Powerpuff Girls games did. Like this one also has some puzzle puzzles to solve and like you have to stack the eds on top of each other at, in some points, which reminds yeah. me a little bit of like a Four Swords adventure thing with Zelda. Um, like that there's some of that going on. I'm just really impressed with, yes, the characters and the enemies are somewhat lifeless, but there are a lot of them. Like you fight against dogs and robots and like weird reptiles and stuff like there's I'm really just impressed with the environment of the game. I can't say that enough. Like, uh, I I love how much detail goes into everything is like a clubhouse theme. I don't know. 
I don't know who who could live in this neighborhood, Mike. Like, what what's the what's the property value of these homes? <laughs> very low, very low. <laughs> like, is it a trailer park? Like, where are they living exactly? Like, it looks like they live like in Chernobyl. Like, <laughs> when Chernobyl could first become habited again. I, they yeah. Like, are there any adults here? Like, running the city, or it seems like no. These guys are just scamming everybody and then running away, but not actually making any money from it. Just making jawbreakers. Maybe it's like a Children of the Corn situation where all the parents. Mm have been killed and now kids have taken over but in the show in the show itself i don't think you ever see the adults you only see their arms come off screen and like grab them by the by the scruff of their shirt or whatever and like hold them up to threaten them but i don't remember ever seeing the parents on screen maybe a few of them you do but a lot of the time they just pull the whole like arm off screen grabbing the kid yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i remember that too but uh yeah that is ed ed and eddie lots of weird running pretty hilarious just like the uh, just like the show yeah, I'm impressed that you knew the difference between the Eds. I never learned that. Thank you. That's that's uh, that's my party trick. Also, what the hell is going on? I'm losing my mind now. One player game. How? You know, well, Neil, why would you want to play as all three Eds? But like, how? Like, just <laughs> make it co-op. Like, this is the perfect co-op. Like, we've had now a freaking Codename Kids Next Door and Wallace and Gromit. And now Ed, Ed, and Eddie. Like, the names are in the freaking title. And you <laughs> can't play as them all at the same time with your friends. Oh, my God. Join Ed, Ed, and Eddie on their Miss Adventures. In this tag team adventure, they spelled adventure right in the write-up. That's weird. Switch (laughs) Eds on the fly to take advantage of their unique abilities. You'll encounter all of your favorite characters from the show. You mean Ed, Ed, and Eddie? As you make your way through the cul-de-sac scamming the neighborhood kids, collect jawbreakers and coins to unlock bonus content. I will say that they they have nailed the one thing that I I would love to do in a video game, not in real life, and that is scamming neighborhood kids. That sounds like a lot of fun as the premise of a video game. It's true. That that is true. I did like that. I don't want to do it in real life, but I'm just saying it'd be fun to have that as a simulation, you know? I do. I like that. I like that. But uh, Lovely. Neil, I think it's time for the last game of the day. The last game of the day is The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy, released on September 25th, 2006. This is a very late GameCube game. Developed by High Voltage Software, published by Midway. It's also on Game Boy Advance, PS2, and the Wii. Rates a 7 out of 10. This is the best game of the day, Mike. Priced today at around $60, and this is a fighter brawler based on the cartoon of the same name, The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy, ran from 2001 to 2007. Six seasons of the cartoon, three movies. I have never seen any of them, and I love the plot of the show. Like, this this cartoon is a classic. I need to go back and rewatch it, but... Basically, uh, Billy and Mandy cheated at a limbo match against the Grim Reaper, and he is now basically permanently friends with these kids. He's enslaved to them because they beat him at limbo. That's right. (laughs) I I love the premise of that. Like, it's so basic and so stupid, but it works so darn well. (laughs) And this is uh, one of the first games. I think it's the first Grim Adventures uh, video game, but uh, it's not not an adventure game. Nothing like what we've seen so far. It's not a platforming game. It is a, a fighting game. Yeah, technically like a fighter brawler. Uh, the closest thing I could think of for this, Neil, would be maybe like an alien hominid uh, castle crashers kind of game. Because uh, that's kind of what, it, at least for the, the adventure parts of it. But then there is the actual fighting and everything multiplayer. Yeah, those are more of like beat-em-ups. But I can see what yes. you're saying with like the, I guess maybe the animation and the character design and everything. But this is actually more Power Stone is the, the that's, game. Okay, yeah, yeah. That's a good that's a good comparison. Yeah, the animation is very alien hominid. Very much. Or I guess you could say the One Piece games that we talked about a little while ago. But this game looks a little bit better than that. You have all the characters from the series fighting each other in these 3D battle arenas. Uh, using various attacks, items, uh, environmental hazards go in there. 
And it's basically just a fight until there's the last one standing. Mm-hmm. And the game was praised back in the day for its uh, faithfulness to the source material. There's multiplayer, thank God. Uh, but criticizing the game for its uh, shallow lack of content, which is no surprise in a brawler based on a cartoon. But I had forgotten how great some of the characters were in this show. Like, And they all work together so well in a fighter. Like, You've got Billy and Mandy and the Grim Reaper, obviously. But then you've also got characters like Hector Con Karn, which is basically a... He's a brain attached to a bear's body yeah Um, oh yeah that's right like the villains in this game or like the bad guys in this game are are so darn good and like we've talked about a bunch of times today already all of the voice actors are back uh in their roles which is uh nice to see uh debbie derry berry is uh also in this game too or in the show too who i did not know uh was in the show but she also voices jimmy neutron which is cool but there's another voice actor in there too mike that's interesting did you want to hit the listeners with that yeah, Neil, the narrator of this uh, of this great game, and it was I like games that have narrators. I'm a big fan, especially cartoons. Yes, and the narrator is Weird Al, Weird Al Yankovic <laughs> of all people. Uh, yep. Does provides the narrating voice. He also voiced the Squid Hat in the show, oh. which was like a it was like a parody of the Sorting Hat kind of. Uh, it was it was pretty funny. They they did a really good job with the parodies of of like different villains and different uh, characters in Billy and Mandy. Some of like I can't believe they got away with, but uh, yeah. yeah, he is in the show a little bit and provided the voice. So thanks, Weird Al. That's amazing. And you're right. Announcers are key in video games, racing games, and fighting games specifically. Yeah. The one thing that makes this game kind of neat from other fighting games, I suppose, is that you have treasure chests that appear on screen, which will give you weapons, healing items, and mojo balls, which uh, fills your character's mojo meter that can be filled Mm -hmm. up uh, during the level. And uh, when your mojo meter fills completely, uh, you get to do your mojo smackdown, which I guess is pretty similar to uh, Smash Bros. Uh, You got your ultimate smash there, which is kind of cool. But 15 playable characters in total. Not a bad, not a bad... uh, uh, roster i suppose this is obviously really good st- roster i would say for like a yeah. billy and mandy for like a cartoon that will only been out for a couple of seasons i guess at that point well this is very much like i was going to say a beta basically a testing ground for what eventually became the battle network uh games i think there's been two or three of them mm. now where they have all of the cartoon network characters fighting against each other uh they've now brought back in dexter's lab and johnny bravo all the franchises that were basically missing from gamecube are in those games i want to go check those out i'm sure that they're not good uh, because I just keep hearing things about the um, the new the Warner Brothers game that just came out, the fighting game, and that game is apparently like one of the better Smash Bros. clones. So that doesn't say too many good things about Cartoon Network, the battle game, unfortunately. Sure. But nevertheless, this game does exist. I, I don't know if it's any better on Wii, PS2, or GameCube. I watched some comparisons just to see. I'm always interested in the Wii games compared to these ones, and they all look pretty darn close. Yeah, because this this looks quite good. I mean, again. The art style for this could look basically the same on everything because it is of that very. I would I almost call this like hard cell shaded, mm-hmm. where there's like soft cell shading. You, I think of that for like Wind Waker, where this is like very hard edges. Uh, yeah. And yeah, think of Alien Hominid would yeah. be a, a good example in terms of what the actual artwork uh, looks like. So it, yeah, very very late GameCube game though. The Wii, like you said, was already out. So uh, yeah. it's uh, pretty crazy that this even came out for the GameCube at all. Yeah, it, it's too bad because the the PS2 version of this game actually has a pretty cool feature in it that I don't think the GameCube version does. But you have a bonus DVD or a bonus video in there where you get to watch an interview with the, the show's creator as well as all of the voice actors mm. talk about them working on the show. Uh, if you don't have the PS2 copy, it's okay. This video is on YouTube. I watched it uh, before this episode and it's really neat to uh, hear the, the the real people behind the, behind the characters talk about 
their inspiration for the character, auditioning for the roles, and working as these characters for the better part of, what, seven or eight years, basically. Oh, that's really um, cool. Yeah, I, I love stuff like that. I love yeah. hearing about voice actors and their, their lives working together and everything. And it sounds like it was a pretty decent working environment. And cell shading for this franchise makes the most sense because the cartoon yep. itself is very blocky and very cell shaded to begin with, as most Cartoon Network cartoons were. Um, after watching all of these games and cartoons side by side days in a row for this podcast, <laughs> I realized how similar they all actually are to each other, not really noticing it because as we said at the beginning of this episode, these cartoons were peppered amongst Mike and my uh, childhoods from back in the day. We never watched them all in sequence on one single channel. We caught a few on one channel, a few on another, one on MTV for some reason. So it was very hard to notice any similarities, but when you get them all together, you you really notice it. It's like the Hanna-Barbera effect, basically. Yeah, yeah, honestly. But uh, Neil, I think it's time to read the back of the case for this game and we'll move on to some closing thoughts. All right, sounds good. But before I do, I do want to talk really quickly about the front cover of this game because I think mm -hmm. it's really cool. I, I like it. We got all three characters, Billy, Mandy, and Grimm on the front of the screen, way better than the Codename Kids Next Door. It's actually very similar to the Codename Kids Next Door cover now that yes. I look at it. <laughs> uh, but you've got the three-headed dog on there too. And uh, yeah, it's just really good. Mandy's punching Billy right in the face, which you don't see too often on video game covers. Uh, characters punching each other right in the face there. Oh, speaking of that... Mm. One really, really cool thing about this game that I completely forgot about, so that her punching Billy reminded me of it. Uh, the credits are really, really cool. When the game basically ends, uh, Mandy says, man, I wish I had a game where I could just beat the crap out of Billy. And sure <laughs> enough, in the credits, uh, while, while all the names are going through, you can smash the names and smash Billy. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> you, can, you can hit him as hard as you can and just have him fly all over the place, so... Uh, that is really, really fun. That's awesome. I remember that being so clever in uh, Smash Bros. on the, the one on 3DS, mm -hmm. being able to fight against the credits. That was cool. Yeah, yeah. Same kind of thing in this one. Adding gameplay to credits is a bold move. I, I appreciate it. Give me something it, to do while I'm waiting for the credits to go by. Huge, huge props to that. And I think that's why this is probably the, the best game on the GameCube. But yes, uh, Neil, let's read the back of the case. Okay. Be Billy. Be Mandy. Be Grim. Just don't behave. Play as one of 15 characters from the hit Cartoon Network show. Smash objects, destroy environments, and battle in 20 interactive arenas. That's pretty good. Duke it out with up to four players to be the last one standing. Unlock weapons, costumes, and characters as you make your way through 54 different missions. Master signature fighting moves and weapons for each character. There's a lot to do in this game. Like, for a fighting game, it's pretty good. Uh, they did not need to go this heavy into it. But like we said, this is a great cartoon. The characters work super well together. But with that, Mike, let's move on to our closing statements uh, for this episode. Are there any games that we've talked about today that uh, you are now on the lookout for or you recommend the listeners pick up? I'm definitely on the lookout for The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy. I think that's just mm -hmm. a really fun game to play, especially multiplayer. I, I often look for multiplayer games for games like these where there's it's a franchise or something so I can play with someone else and, and have some fun. And mm -hmm. The Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy is one of the only ones that I can do that. Uh, unfortunately, so that's probably the my recommendation. My like my other recommendations would probably be the Codename Kids Next Door game if you can find it for cheap, or the Wallace and Gromit game. But I think the best one of the seven here is definitely Billy and Mandy. 
Yeah, I, I was probably going to say the same thing. I think if I was going to pick up the Billy and Mandy game, though, I might just go with the Wii copy just because I don't want to yeah. spend 60 bucks on the GameCube game. Yeah. Uh, you can find cheaper ones. Like if you find one without the manual, you're looking more at like 30 to $40, which is a bit more reasonable. Uh, I think it's just a cool thing to have in your collection. Mm-hmm. Like it's a great cartoon. So that's probably the one that I would be most interested in picking up if I see it. Uh, I'm really interested now in going to go check out that Wallace and Gromit short that I did not know about until today. Uh, so that's something. <laughs> um, but in terms of other games here today, there is not really much that I would be interested in picking up. So yeah, Billy and Mandy, either on GameCube or Wii, and that Wallace and Gromit short. Uh, pretty easy today, considering that we covered seven games today. Not really much to, to write home about, but... Nope. 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 <laughs> <laughs> but with that, do you see a future for any of these franchises on Nintendo hardware or current-gen consoles in general, Mike? I know that we've said that we've had... Cartoon Network crossover games uh, in the last few years, but do you see any standalone games from any of these characters? No, I don't think it'll happen just because that's just not the way the game market works anymore. No. Uh, It really has to be part of some kind of collection or some kind of crossover, and I think we will see these guys in all kinds of crossover games forever, especially the Powerpuff Girls. They will be in crossover games for the rest of time, Uh, but the rest of them, they could come and go, and I think Wallace and Gromit, I'm sure, will get some other uh media uh in the future will it be for nintendo systems it's hard to tell there it could be but i think most of these games will be on mobile or they'll be in crossovers yeah i think you're totally right like we're just going to see these cartoon network crossovers for till the end of time wallace and gromit is the outlier though because it's not like we said it's not technically cartoon network so they'll have to do something i'm interested to see if they try to go back into video games with uh with that 2024 film if that's even real Uh, Probably isn't, but I think, yeah, mobile (laughs) games makes the most sense. I'd be interested to see what they do with a video game again, because I still stand by. I don't think Wallace and Gromit is the best choice for a video game. I would rather see Chicken Run come back and then make a Chicken Run game, to be honest, than to see a Wallace and Gromit game or just make a Nick Park claymated crossover game in general. I think that could be that could be really cool. You don't have a lot of claymated video games and now consoles are so much more powerful. They can make those graphics in game. Uh, I think that would be a really neat concept, almost like little nightmares, but not terrifying. Claymation was cool. <laughs> the new podcast. But it's going to be so short. There aren't that many claymated things. <laughs> Five weeks in, we're done. <laughs> I just think of uh, of Adam Scott's character in Parks and Rec <laughs> doing the claymation. <laughs> do, 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 do. Stand in that place where you... <laughs> that took me a month and a half. But, Mike, while we're out there helping Adam Scott create the next greatest claymated movie of all time, why don't you let the listeners know what they can expect next week on episode 110 of the GameCube is Cool podcast. We're out of the 1-0 neighborhood. We're out of the knots. We're in the tens now. Uh, 110, uh, 110, episode 110 is going to be all about Pixar games. We're going to keep the franchise, the uh, franchises rolling here. We're going to move them from the small screen to the big screen. And we're talking about some really classic Pixar movies that got turned into games like Finding Nemo and The Incredibles. And uh, there's some good games here and there's some not good games here. And we're going to have some guests on to talk about the movies and the games as well. And uh, it's going to be a fun time. Yeah, these Pixar, I think we're covering the Pixar games that are literally on every game shelf at all times. It's really (laughs) funny how these Pixar games sold incredibly well and got people got rid of them incredibly quickly. (laughs) Yep. 
Yep. So I'm excited <laughs> to talk about some of these games. Really interesting bunch and some cool movies to talk about, too. I love the Pixar films from the 2000s and from today, too. Just checked out Lightyear recently, which is a really fun film. So Pixar is just one of those things that it's like you can always count on them to make. At one point, we're from a time when Pixar movies came out once every three to five years now they come out with three movies a year so it's it's a different time to be a pixar fan so it's going to be fun to go back and talk about it when the movies were no offense they were special um (laughs) yeah so i'm i'm really looking forward to that but until then ladies and gentlemen thank you so much for listening to episode 109 of the gamecube was cool podcast new episode every thursday on all the major podcast services leave us a rating and a review so we can make the show better you can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash the gamecube was cool all patrons get the show ad free and a little early. Thank you so much to everybody over there who supports us. And you can follow us for free on Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook. And you can join the weekly conversation on our Discord channel. Just search The GameCube Was Cool. Share us with your friends and family. Tell Weird Al, Mike says hi. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. See you later. Bye bye GameCube. Over 600 games you've never heard of. Product of what happens when you think inside the box. What's your favorite Weird Al Yankovic song? Do I know this uh, about you? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, uh, you know what? It's probably Coach Potato, which is uh, "Lose Yourself" by Eminem. Nice, nice. You, you, my mind always goes back to is the uh, "Why Does This Always Happen to Me" song that you showed me in the car. Why does this always happen to me? Like when he shoots his boss in the face for asking him to refill the toner. He stabs him with a knife. It's St- like, oh, now that stabs now the knife blade will never be the same again. <laughs> right in the face. Right in the face. <laughs> Classic.